You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Testing. One, two, three. Hi, this is me, Tammy and Babydorf, and these are my room wars. In case we don't get out of here alive. The borderline so narrow between human desires and animal acts marked these people for destruction. Sown in hatred, sown in lust, blossomed to death so horrifying. Self-inflicted pain filled with the true pleasures of torture marked their every moment. Alan and Rosalie Bazzini present a film so unbelievably real, proving that the most savage animal on earth is man. But since everything they're saying about us is a pack of lies, I'd like to take this chance to set the record straight. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're seeing dead people and making friends with Bruce Willis. Join the sleaze. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every uh, single month, which we have been doing for over three years. There's something like yeah. 90, I think, bonus episodes now, which is crazy. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting close to 100. It's feeling kind of kind of, kind of wild. Um, but for anyone who hasn't made the jump, patreon.com slash sleazoids podcast. There's lots of episodes waiting for you. And speaking of which, due to uh, a little time travel maneuvering, as we sometimes do on this show, uh, we, rec- we recorded a bunch of episodes in advance so I could do uh, a, a brief move. Uh, because of that, uh, we have a very, very long list of patrons <laughs> to thank. Sorry that it took so long because some of you pledged literally a month ago and I just haven't been able to get around to them yet. So we didn't forget about any of you. Um, but speaking of which, uh, I am going to list those names out uh now uh we have uh plap we have diego duckenfield lopez uh we have andy mitchell brendan carroll ziltoid lives uh kazaya celine uh kyle mares logan kirk uh steven uh Masso, uh aiden mcguire uh jack just jack Harrison Rees. Oh my God, I'm still going. <laughs> uh, B-Ben. B-Ben. Uh, Ryan Pierce. Uh, we had Col- Connor Willingham, who actually upgraded from his $5 a month to $10 a month. He's going to be joining us for the monthly virtual screenings that Jamie and I both do live. We watch a movie live with you guys. Nice. Don't know exactly what that movie is yet, uh, but... You know, we're, you know, we're, it's always fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, we also had uh, Dennis Duffy sign up, Samuel Can, All Right Partner, Keep On roll, Rolling, Baby. Y'all know what time <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks to, to our friend there, All Right, uh, Ryan Chang, uh, Luckman, Volgetech to Look, Joseph Mellon, uh, Mopo, Daniel Olson, and Thrillho. <laughs> so awesome. thanks uh, so much. Normally, uh, normally, I guess we are, we're only reading out about a week's name. So this this was a month. I hope you guys have been enjoying all the bonus episodes over the last uh, month. And uh, yeah, thanks for supporting the show. Yeah, thanks um, so much, guys. Yeah, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug is, uh, as always, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and I see the stats, I, I know that you are. I see you right now listening on Apple Podcasts. 
right at this very moment, scroll down to the very bottom while you're listening to this and give us a good old rating review down at the bottom there. It helps us climb the ranks at iTunes and find new listeners. Uh, And then the very last plug is merch. Uh, If you guys like the uh, poster art that uh, horror artist Trevor Henderson, based out of Toronto, did for the show, you can get that put on in basically anything you want. You can get it put on a shirt. You can get it put on a a hoodie, a notebook, a pillow. You can just get a poster uh, if that's what you're interested in. Uh, I have one for for my house. Yeah, Um, me too. You can uh, scroll down to uh, the description, and you can find a link to the merch there, and you can also find it at sleezoidspodcast.com. All right. There's the intro. Welcome back. Uh, As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, it feels it feels kind of crazy. That's the longest <laughs> yeah. break Jamie and I have ever taken from the show. I know it didn't feel like a break to you guys because we were, you know, still dropping episodes every week. But we yeah. just we just took about a month off from the show. We recorded a bunch of episodes in advance. I hope it didn't show that we were getting tired by the end. There, I think our long <laughs> goodbye Big Lebowski episode was still pretty good, despite the fact that we were both, you know, uh, our, our brains were hurting. Yeah, it's still <laughs> a good uh, two and a half hour episode. So as is tradition, we couldn't stop ourselves. Yep. We can't stop ourselves. Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, speaking of which, I think uh, for for you guys listening this week, two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest, uh, returning guest Nick Yusin on, as well as a mob scholar and mob enthusiast on to talk about uh, mob movies. We talked across 110th Street from 1973, uh, directed by Barry Shear. Um, and we also talked about uh, Donnie Brasco from 1997 with uh, Al Pacino and Johnny Depp, and uh, yeah, both both for Nick were kind of uh, kind of like underrated, maybe kind of like the B side of you know mob movies. Even though Donnie Brasco obviously right. still you know a, a very handsome production, uh, you know it's just not held in similar esteem to you know the the Scorsese gangster pictures, for example. So yeah. we we, we kind of had fun exploring some of you know uh, you know getting Nick's in insights on some of the actual mob stories that he's that he's read and the history that he's read and yeah both movies were you know surprisingly uh, a little a little more um uh, depressingly accurate uh rather <laughs> yeah. than uh exciting when it comes to mob movies um so yeah if you ha- if you didn't hear that episode that was uh, two weeks ago that was any podcast listener of choice and as i already mentioned last week's episode was your guys's patreon uh, voted episode where you know for uh anyone who's not a patron we let the patrons vote on the double feature vote for an episode once every two months speaking of which for anyone um you know, who hasn't signed up or, you know, hasn't made their way over to the Patreon recently. Uh, the next voting is going down right now. Uh, there's, nice. there's a lot of, uh, nominations being thrown out there, a lot of, uh, arguing. Uh, so head on over to the Patreon if you want to vote on the next one. Do you know the but, top, uh, uh, couple yet? On the voting board? Uh, it, it looks like so far. I mean, it, I, I can't say 100% because we've had some upsets in the past. For sure. But the, sure. the, the leading double feature right now is a Tony Scott double feature of uh, Last Boy Scout and The Fan. Oh, uh, I, would, is, uh, <laughs> I would be happy. I'm just saying. <laughs> so that's, that's currently uh, in the lead. But uh, as always, you know, there's there's a lot of voting that that takes place, and every yeah. so we we do a we do a double a double round where people vote, and then we take the top four and we have them vote again. So every once in a while, there's there's an upset. Uh, speaking of which, like the upset that happened last week, where uh, <laughs> there was a, a very close run between Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin and Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, which looked like you know it was going to win, and then out of just nowhere, the long goodbye Big Lebowski just took it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that was what we talked about uh, last week over on the Patreon, a big two and a half hour episode on sort of uh, easygoing, lackadaisical detectives stuck in the wrong yeah. uh, decade, which was a lot of fun to talk about. But yeah, that being said, welcome back to an, an, another uh, an, another week here on the show. Moving on to uh, you know, this week, once again, just so everyone knows, because we are recording, um, you know, um, much, much later than, than the previous episodes, I figured I should warn everyone because I'm in a new place. The sirens are gone. Yes. So for anyone who had some Stockholm the syndrome end of an era. and was getting, and was getting really used to hearing, you know, feeling like you were being pulled over by the cops, you know, <laughs> one, like every 40 minutes of an episode, uh, that no longer is going to happen. I might ask Jamie to throw in some, yeah, a little post. Uh, yeah, well, we might have a transition period where, you know, he just, he pulls some from some old episodes and he just throws them in every so often <laughs> and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. So things might sound a little bit different moving forward, but I think it'll be a good different, um, and yeah. to to join us for this this new era of a sirenless sleazoids, <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, a, one of the per, I think the very first patron the show ever had. Yeah, uh, very er, very very early supporter, someone who's nominated a lot of episodes and recommendations that we've actually eventually done on the show, including some of our nastiest ones, including our episode that we did on the last house on the left. Yeah, and I've probably um, stolen a point or two as well. Or sorry, no, last house on uh, last house on a dead end street. I always get those titles right, mixed right, up because right, they start right. that way. Last I was house honored on a dead by the choices street. and the stealing. <laughs> <laughs> but we have uh, joining us this week. He is a uh, film writer and a programmer uh, based out of Melbourne. We have joining us uh, Kai Perignon which is the first time I've ever pronounced his name correct on this show, (laughs) even though he has been brought up multiple times. It's a a hard to say name. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for for joining us. I knew eventually that we were going to have you on because you kept giving us recommendations all of of the time. And, you know, a lot of the time when you were giving us recommendations, it was stuff that I hadn't even heard of. Um, Now, luckily this week, I had actually heard and seen one of the films that you wanted to bring on this week, but you didn't disappoint with the second one. (laughs) Um, So so as as it goes, Kai, you know the drill. We we have the guests bring on the double feature with them. So what two films have you brought with you this week, and why do they pair together? Uh, This week, I brought uh, Andy Milligan's 1968 uh, masterpiece, Seeds, and I brought James Robert Baker's 1984 masterpiece, Blonde Death. they are, on the surface, uh, maybe they're not that similar. They are shot, obviously, uh, in very different eras and in very different places. Seeds shot in Staten Island. Blondeth shot in Los Angeles. Blondeth shot on video. Seeds shot on, actually, I thought I wrote this down, but I didn't. Something. 16 millimeter. 16. It looks really bad. Uh, yes. Good, <laughs> I say it in a good way. Uh, I say it's a compliment. Um, but I, I think that both these movies are, are basically about two family units completely imploding. And they implode through people screaming like really dark bon mots at each other and saying really awful things to each other about <laughs> incest and you know implicit class critiques and sexuality. And I find them both to be very cathartic expressions of, of rage from two very angry and confused young queer artists. I think that they, they especially upon rewatching them uh, in this week, I was really blown away by how similar they are. Just like the tone is the different thing I felt mainly, and the violence. 
Yeah, like the, the, despite the the completely different look and sort of uh, like in, in terms of how they were shot and kind of the setting of them, there is definitely kind of like this 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 very uh, you know angry transgressive attitude um, to the both of them that definitely links mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even and he, even like the sixteen and the video, like Milligan is like you know he's still he's shooting it relatively straightforwardly uh, even as the as even as he occasionally will swirl the camera around and i think some of that video fuzziness of blonde death really gets in this some similar t- territory definitely definitely yeah both both are uh uh handheld shot uh nightmares <laughs> uh with 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 lots of uh yelling and uh in people doing really grotesque things, and I'm definitely excited to get into the specifics of that because some of the specifics are, you know, slightly different. But yes, there there are uh, quite a bit of you know very nasty behavior, uh, you know, that all of these characters uh, dish out. It's very it, it almost feels uh, angry and kind of self loathing a little bit at the same time. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm excited to. Uh, jump into that. So speaking of which, I think we are going to jump right in here. We are going to start off with Seeds. Much a part of their twisted life sends their world into a frenzy. Reaching, searching, pleading, denying no one until these primitive desires boil over into uncontrollable passion and violence. To learn the truth about the twisted lives of these people, you must see this motion picture. Seeds. All right. We are talking uh, Seeds. The, uh, <laughs> you know, th- this one, this one, normally I kind of steal this part from like, you know, like the, the, the standard page for the film, but this one doesn't really have one because that's how small it is. Uh, so and in, in terms of genre, I guess I would call this kind of like a, a, a uh, familial melodrama horror in a way. Yeah. Um, it, th- th- that's definitely where the, where the tone hot house, definitely a good descriptor of, uh, of, of the feel, uh, of this film. This is obviously directed by, um, Andy Milligan, um, and stars a bunch of actors who Kai, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of actors who were part of his theater troupe that he, mm-hmm was a part of in, in the sixties and he, cause he was a, he was a, a playwright uh, before and after a filmmaker, correct? Yeah. He's, if you read the amazing biography of him, the ghastly one by Jim McDonough. Yeah. He was doing theater uh, in the external scenes, really violent and similar theater to what he was doing in this movie. Like the, one of the famous stories is that he was getting an actress to be whipped on stage and someone was like, shouldn't you be blocking it that she's not whipped? And he's like, no, it's her job to dodge the whip. And so that's the kind of space he was coming from. And that's where, yeah, he brought a bunch of these actors with him and except the lead woman, uh, Carol, no, it's her name, the daughter in the film, uh, the main daughter. Yeah. The main daughter's name is Carol and she's played by Candy Hammond. Yes. Who was his wife. Uh, at the oh, time, oh, okay. but right, I, but, I I read that they got they got married like on the set or something like that, like like in the house because the I, the, the set was like his family house or something like that. His, yeah, I <laughs> this I movie created really, a love affair. Wow. Oh it, yeah. well, uh, I mean it wasn't. I mean I mean just I, I mean I'm not going to try to repeat too much from Jim McDonough's book, but like base I think basically it was like they got married because he thought that it would like 
make him more palatable to the industry, even though everyone knew that he was gay. And okay. then apparently the night of his wedding to her, like he went to a gay bar and, he, and they were like, what are you doing with the honeymoon? He goes, honeymoon, we got to make a movie. And so then they made the movie like very soon after this. But yeah, he was, I mean, he was never, I don't think their marriage lasted very long. They were, it was never like a real quote unquote marriage, you know? Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, so he was so Andy Milligan was this you know he was this this queer filmmaker from from Minnesota and he I, you know you you might be able to fill us in on like you know what part of the backstory is correct because what I could kind of find uh, loosely because I, I haven't had a chance to read the book that you recommended to us yet was that you know he he kind of suffered a little bit from a you know what was a physically and kind of mentally abusive mother which is kind of how you get mm-hmm. the tyrannical matriarch that you kind of see um, in 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 this film here and then. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, and that and that also a lot of people kind of accused him on on sets of kind of being prone to kind of like these very angry, you know, border on abusive outbursts, um, you know, hmm. in in both his his acting troupe and then a little bit in in his movies. And I I read that he was like one of the dudes in his acting troupe eventually went to jail for trying to, for plotting the bombing of an abortion clinic. Is that true? Oh, he got, I think he got arrested for bombing like three or four of them. Yeah. Actually, I may have written <laughs> about this actually. Um, let me see. It was, uh, Dennis Malvasi. Yeah. Who he started in millions theater company he was in one of his last movies, carnage, but yeah, he got into like a Catholic cult and yeah, I think they arrested him on, tr- on three or four of them. There was also a guy like, I mean, I just, the note I brought Dennis Wavassi wrote down is Gary Stone famously got fucked by a dog at a cocktail party, which is, and like, apparently the way that happened was just like, he took off his shirt on set and they're like, why do you have claw marks on your back? Like, these are the people, yeah, that were hanging around Milligan. Jeez. Yeah. So this is, this, so this is who he was making art with and who he was coming up with ideas with. And, you know, he. He got started in kind of like this experimental off-Broadway, you know, kind of theater shows where apparently, you know, he did a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the set design and costuming and everything like that. And obviously in a lot of his work, as, you know, Kai has mentioned, he seemed like uh, a pretty a pretty uh, angry guy. A lot of his films, um, from what I've read, seem to focus on kind of like, you know, uh, this kind of transgressive form of, you know, cruelty and punishment and these very dysfunctional uh, you know, family units that eventually, you know, uh, kind of attribute the psychic and, and, and physical breakdown much as we see in this film, which, you know, has, you know, some of the like ugliest, most sadistic, uh, you know, imagery and content because it kind of starts off as, as like, it reminded me a little bit, I'll say honestly, of something like spider baby mm-hmm, um, sure, where you yeah. kind of have a little bit of that black and white uh, dysfunctional family. Um, but this, at a certain point, it just becomes a series of shock reveals on the background of what this family has done to one another. Um, and, and eventually it just becomes, you know, like that, that slow breakdown after the reveal every single time. And it just becomes a series of shots of people's wounds and then people screaming and crying and abusing each other, drowning each other, throwing acid in each other's face. Um, you know, uh, there's, you know, like uh, suicide and incest and oh, you know, so sort way of too back much alley incest. abortions. Yeah. A lot of incest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. <laughs> And Andy shoots yeah. it like it's just uh, it's so like sporadic a lot of the time. He does a lot of uh, camera shaking and a lot of very strange Dutch angles. Sometimes where it seems like the camera's almost completely on its side, 
it's it's very uh, disorienting at times when you're watching all this this chaos on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I read that he shot it on a single handheld 16 millimeter um, Oricon camera, which is one of those like really old school like news cameras where you okay. kind of shot you know your video and sound on the scene. It was it was kind of meant for you know if you're out on an you know um, you know you're one of the people sort of out and about actually like at the scene of an accident or something like that. This is the oh, kind so of you camera you would carry around with you and, and going. Yeah, and, and that's all. Also, why the sound sounds so blown out. I was all gonna the time. say everything, especially <laughs> when they start just screaming at each other. Everything sounds like it's clipping, and it has like a, a natural distortion to a lot of the fighting, um, which is definitely effective. I mean, obviously, as an as an audio person, you don't normally go for that, but it really works for for this uh, for this setting. <laughs> I mean, JB, you mentioned earlier that the camera's going crazy too. I mean, he like. I think he just would, he wants everything to be as much as possible to like compensate a bit. Apparently the scripts used to write stuff like do the business or like uh, swirl camera. Like (laughs) he just, and and, which would, you know, and you see that throughout this movie and you, and you hear as you, as you guys just said as well, it is, I find this movie to like be really fucking exhausting, honestly to watch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like there's, there's parts that I was, I was actually curious if it was the, just kind of the old film reel or if it was actually him, doing a stationary uh, uh, camera setting, but then he would shake it. Like there's this part in the church, which we'll get into more detail, of course, but he's he's just uh, filming the priest. And at one point, it seems like the camera just does like a violent shake, but then goes back to being kind of stationary on the priest. And I couldn't tell if it was him shaking it or if it was just the old film kind of, you know, doing it based on its uh, on its wear and tear. Um, I mean, he, around, de- he definitely yeah. was using cheap equipment, so it, it, it okay. is kind of hard to say. But it, I, right. I, I will it say works. that, <laughs> r- yeah, regardless, it, it like that that does give it this like very, um, you know, strange energy that yeah. it has where the where the camera, you know, at you know, I, I did I did read, too, as Kai mentioned that, you know, he talked about that he wanted this swirl effect a lot. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he wanted to be able to follow anything at any moment based on the action or the or the feeling of the particular scene. And so when two characters are screaming at each other, sometimes he'll just start you know moving around them where he'll you know all of a sudden you know Terrence Malick style he'll just like go focus on something else for a second he'll focus on like a body part or something and he definitely wanted that kind of freedom of movement but it's also so erratically done that it just kind of it, it it mirrors the energy of what you're feeling of just kind of like this raw expression and kind of how ugly um, you know what these people are saying to each other is and what they're doing to each other is and then how you're also experiencing it in in these like unbearable close-ups that feel like they just keep moving closer and closer as you know the 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 wounds start to open up kind of um, on screen. Which yeah, speaking it, of which, for anyone who who hasn't. Um, seen the film I, I kind of laid it out um, you know like like a little broadly that this is like a family melodrama but we 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 should mention that like the the main sort of figures of it and and as it kind of opens up um, is there's this uh, this sort of like abusive mother figure who lives in this house and she lives in it with you know the one daughter Carol who's the main daughter and then she also lives in it with I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be one of the sons or if it's just a caretaker. Who's the eye This is the guy, guy with the eye patch. Yeah. I thought he was her, I've seen this movie like twice. I think it's her new husband or new boyfriend. It's not clear. Okay. Yeah, I found okay. it a little bit confusing as well. But but I do think she mentions, 
something like a new she says something to one of her daughters I think where she says like this is your new daddy or something like mm-hmm. that yes and mm-hmm. I think that's the eye patch okay guy, I'm pretty sure okay it see, that would, see that would make sense but also they all sleep with the entire family so yeah. you don't yeah. know yeah. If, that, if that even makes a difference or not right yeah. like whether it's not family like you can't use that as a as a you know uh, and a, a the most like that. unflattering <laughs> sex scenes that i've ever seen in a film half the time i would say so yeah, yeah so th- that's that's one thing we should mention is that obviously the, the film is called Seeds and it has one mm-hmm. of the uh, greatest poster tag lines of all time oh, in my yeah. opinion Great. Uh, where the seeds are sowed in incest and harvested in hate <laughs> and it, it it's obviously referring to this idea of sort of like a bad seed a, a foundational you know um, you know sort of transgressive quality to this family that has spread and infected the entire family but it was also retitled the Seeds of Sin for what was like most people's um you know uh context for this film was a kind of like soft core version where they actually thrown in threw in like full you know generic soft core sex scenes with like jazzy uh score and everything like that um and you can watch both versions of the film on the vinegar syndrome blu-ray and i i, I did kind of tune into the soft core version because i i, I remember I, I remember finding out that it existed and i was like is that the one that i watched when i previously watched this film i don't remember that being a thing and no so it, it turns out when vinegar syndrome put the film out they put out the reconstructed version of the film that he originally intended to release which is the one that i believe that we all watched if you didn't watch a version that has uh you know when the incest starts it just turns into like a bam chicka wow wow uh style film for like literally five minutes then you watch the right version of the film gotcha Gotcha. Um, and yeah, really, really bizarre experience, uh, you know, tuning into a, see a couple of the differences uh, that they did there. And also it took out, you know, some of the, you know, some of the more, uh, you know, like in, insane conversations that take place in the film, like the one that the mother has with the with the youngest son. Um, oh, yeah. oh, when she he when he like, finds she finds out he's like a Nazi or when he finds she or when she just tells him why reminds him of why he's been kicked out of school so many times. Uh, yeah, why he's been kicked out of school so many times because, you know, he, uh, you know, he keeps having, uh, you know, uh, relationships with some of the other boys at the school and they keep telling him that that's not something that he's supposed to be doing. But then it turns out that it was possible that he was also assaulted by the priest, uh, and himself may have done some assaulting. Yes. (laughs) We'll get into the specific reveals, uh, as as we go through it, but like there's some really really fucked up shit in this movie, and yeah. it's all. I feel like we keep going forward because it's all just like a big fucking mess of soup. You know, it's hard to get a yeah, handle exactly. on what happens moment to moment and the causation of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But the 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 early scenes are honestly just kind of like this this really you know kind of like shitty Christmas dinner. And right. Carol wants to invite the entire family over who is kind of estranged from the mother because, you know, the mother is, you know, based on the the early scenes where she we see her. Uh, she's she's kind of prickly. And the way that uh, Milliken shoots her, she's very kind of like sickly and being carried around by this husband slash caretaker with an eye patch who, you know, is kind of like basically like, you know, like the Frankenstein monster just carrying her <laughs> around yeah. the, the 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 house and everything like that. And she invites everyone over and they basically tell Carol right at the beginning of the movie by inviting them here. 
you have destroyed this house. And then what we watch is the destruction um, of this family uh, unit as people, you know, start to meet up for the first time in many years. They all have incestuous relationships with each other, not just uh, brother and sister, but like they also like swap husbands and wives uh, at various (laughs) points uh, through the through the film. Um, all the uh, and, all the caretakers too. Like, there's two nurses that are mm-hmm. talking about you know t- taking the money and leaving. And then I think there's one scene where a doctor comes in and and you know it, he's he's telling the the mother not to drink as much and, and all that, but he's doing it in a very aggressive and and uh, uh, inhumane way. And then I think he pours out the liquor in front of her, and he does that because not because he really cares, but he mentions that it, it's his. Uh, income so he just yeah, has to keep her for, alive for, 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 for seven years you've been part of my income i'm not gonna let you drink yourself to death because <laughs> yeah. i need you to i need to keep upping the rate on you so, so that he, i don't lose money <laughs> so even all the things that should be like you know good things to do for people are all wrapped in reasons that are that are quite horrible uh which is also something that this that this movie just keeps up <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the housekeepers are like plotting their escape from the house and their escape from the house is essentially uh, killing the mother, but also, you know, robbing her of all of her things by having her to get to write them in, in the will because they know that she hates her children and everything like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that in between uh, all of these characters. So all of these characters are greedy and like plotting murder and also indulging in whatever kind of sexual impulse they have from like moment to moment. And I was really fascinated by the way that Milligan actually shoots the uh, sex scenes like that first sex scene between the two um, housekeepers who are, you know, plotting a murder kind of like on the side of all the gross things that we're seeing. And just the way that Milligan will again, he'll just like, you know, it's this weird thing where in another context, you could see how it could be romantic, but because you know all of the details of why these people (laughs) are together and what it is that they're doing, you know, the fact that he moves in on their hands and skin touching each other, which would be a romantic gesture to do in, you know, any other movie. It's just in Milligan's version, it just feels like this weird, like contorting shape that their bodies just take. And it's just like this, you know, and again, because in the version that's not a sexploitation film, uh, there's none of that like jazzy score either. <laughs> so yeah. it's like the, also- the actual sex scenes are kind of quiet and just weird. Yeah, there's also this uh, the one part where I think it's the two nurses where they're making out and and gonna have sex, and the one girl wants to go to somewhere more private, and the guy just kind of insists that they do it right there, and it just feels very uh, very dirty and gross, and and, um, and and you know it's just something that it feels Andy has to constantly throw in. It's like even the the two nurses that have you know, have this plan to inherit the money and then leave and all that are, are even have this kind of disgusting, uh, relationship that's between them that we don't really get to dive into, but the implications are all there. Well, it's, if you look at any millions of movies in like a general sense, the, his relationship to like sex and intimacy is really interesting as it goes along. I mean, mm-hmm. you both mentioned there's a, there is this kind of weird push and pull between like how these people are like what they're ostensibly doing and why they're doing it out of like these emotions like love and even like, you know, just finding to their attractive and lust and then the violence of how they often enact it and receive it. I mean, there's a part in one of his lesser known movies that I really love. Uh, the movie's called Blood, 
which I don't remember much about, but there's a scene where like a woman's in bed with her, I think vampire husband. And she's like, tell me you love me. And just like begs him to tell her, tell him, begs him to tell her that uh, he loves her and he won't. And it's like, it's as violent as some of the sex scenes in this movie. And I think mm-hmm. that, I mean, not to hop psych too much, but I mean, you know, we talked, we mentioned earlier that he, Milligan was, um, you know, abused by his mother. And by the end of uh, McDonough's book on him, there is a suggestion as well that he may have, in turn abused his younger sister. And I think that, you know, not not getting too deep into it, but this push and pull of like intimacy and how it can be like a force of like good and redemption, some some, like hints of it here. And then how it is just this violent thing that you can inflict upon each other. I think that's really interesting in this film. Yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. You definitely get that, that feeling that there's, there's kind of like, you know, especially in the character of, of, of Carol, who it kind of turns out, you know, by the end of the film is kind of like the, the prevailing destructive force that maybe even committed the, you know, sort of inciting incident that, you know, caused the mother to, you know, even be sort of frail and in the wheelchair and everything like that. But that it was, you know, that, you know, it's, it's obviously implied obviously in the title and through the film that it was passed down to her sort of generally generationally. Um, but you kind of get, this idea through her that she is yearning for, you know, what is, you know, sort of like these, these gestures of, you know, what a family unit should be doing. Like having a relationship with her brothers is something that interests her, inviting them over for Christmas dinner. Like it's a, you know, it's the kind of gesture that she's like, this is what a family is supposed to do. This is something that I want. Right. But because of the, you know, these sort of darker things that have, you know, gotten inside her and are now being expressed through her, you know, there, there's something, um, you know, that's, that's spoiled that for her. I think that at one point the mother literally says that I spoiled all of you and you ruined my life. So now I've ruined your dinner. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the kind of, uh, things that these people are, are saying to each other. And, and Carol is at a certain point, you know, because she's kind of like your our our entry point. She's the one who you know wanted to have the entire family over. She's the one who you know talks with a lot of the different family members, and and she seems actively for a large part of the movie the only person who's not really plotting anything. Right. Um, but then it turns out that she is actively <laughs> uh, kind of uh, interjecting the chaos that allows you know all of these things to bubble to the surface. That we see all of these different various plots um, that are taking place, both between. The, the housekeepers and then, you know, her, her brother who she's excited to see. And it turns out that her brother, uh, has had a relationship, uh, a sexual relationship with Carol, uh, since I believe he says he was like 18 and she was 13 or yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, and that, and that, that monologue moment where he reveals that to his own wife is so crazy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where he's just like, you, you want to know what's going on in this house? Yeah. I've been having sex with my sister since she was 13. He's like throwing um, in her face, like ah, ha ha ha. Like he's like spitting blood in her, like, like a uh, like Tyler Durden in fight club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this also when she, she's like runs frantically away and, and then puts the knife to her chest and all of that? Yes. That, that same stabs okay. herself in the chest, which is obviously, you know, a really, really crazy way to commit suicide and even well, when the she, people she, yeah, try, she the starts to do it yeah she starts to do it then changes her mind and then the killer opens the door and makes her smash her knife into herself ultimately right because all yes. of these things make it look like they could have committed suicide as well like they have yeah. the guy that that 
is it, like is gonna hang himself but then doesn't but then the chair gets pulled out from him we have the girl that that well the one that's completely accidental she puts a radio next to the bathtub which probably just wasn't the smartest move to begin with but hey and then okay uh, wait actually I, I was a bit confused by that scene and I this is saying I've hmm. seen it oh, does someone okay who is the girl who gets killed in the bathtub I thought it was like this at first I thought it was Carol because <laughs> that's she what I know hair, but I think no, it's actually one yeah, of their Carol, wives that's what it is yeah K- Carol takes the bath first in the tub so it's the same tub that Carol is in like very mm-hmm. early on where we just get a scene of watching her kind of like uh, just basically Bathe. like clean herself yeah and like that's that's uh, that's it and then that's yeah the, that's it, that loving wife gaze the uh, you know like Paul <laughs> it's like uh, Paul W. S. Anderson and Mila Jovovich exactly. yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yes, it ends up being the wife that is trying to, uh, cheat with, uh, the one brother with the other brother who's a priest. So the woman who is trying to have an affair with the priest, um, and is, is the wife of the brother that Carol's actually sleeping with. That is, uh, the woman who is in the tub and who ends up getting the radio, the radio, uh, thrown into her because it is, in my opinion, the, the filmmaking did imply that it didn't just fall in, that there was like, kind of like this shadow and this strange thing that takes uh, place. And then she screams. I actually, maybe I, I I thought that's the person used like a long device to pull in the radio. That's what I wrote down. Do you know what? That might have been it too. It might have been like that little hook thing. It's like yeah. stage cane thing. That's see. That's what yes. it reminded me of because it reminded me of like because it just comes out from when the you, side. When you yank the dude by the this, neck, yeah, and this <laughs> giant cane comes out of nowhere and grabs the radio and kills the girl. I honestly got a little bit of a chuckle out of the image at first until all the death occurs, but. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so he, so she, so it, it, it's it's implied by the end that Carol is the one who is actually doing all of this. Um, uh, murdering um but it but it's so interesting watching carol just move room to room and just basically like seducing each character into revealing the ugliest parts of themselves until yeah. you know they basically do almost self-destruct or or you know she almost doesn't have to kill half of them yeah <laughs> they're she- already like freaking out and and obviously the the one uh wife is the one who's like i'm gonna kill uh myself and the other husband is shouting at her that she doesn't have the nerve uh, and right. everything like that. And, and, and the shot of the, the, when the knife goes into her chest and it just starts leaking blood everywhere. And then it match cuts to, uh, the water leaking out through the bottom of the bathroom door of the, the girl who drowned and everything like that. And then when you go in and you just get to see the still shot of her like screaming stunned face, just like naked in the water there and everything like that. Um, yeah, that is a great really, shot. Yeah, just really like grotesque um, imagery that very much suits the actual tone of the conversations that are taking place. And I think that was the thing that struck me the most about this the first time I watched it was that just what these characters are are doing and saying to each other is so awful. And it feels like Andy Milligan is trying really, really hard to make the imagery match that that tone. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, it gets, it gets very severe at a certain point. Like, especially like, yeah, the there's no the, like redeeming characters in this at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really brutal. Everyone is just acting, you know, everyone is telling each other stories about their terrible childhoods where in some way they were, uh, you know, physically and sexually, uh, ab- abused and then how they have manif- you know, manifested yeah. that into some, you know, the way that they treat other people like and we they're all the, uh, also so greedy and sex starved and 
<laughs> right, like we have the older blonde sister who's with um I can't remember his name, but even even their relationship uh who who it seems has like at least the most uh Loving in the sense that they both are on the same page with each the, other. The, the most consensual uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even that is like has has all these undertones of like domination and abuse and probably. Yeah, she, she literally abuse. calls him an animal. Right. And says that when I met you, I knew you had sadistic impulses, and it's implied, obviously, that that is part of the attraction. Right. That the the sadism right. of her own family attracted her to you know this 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 man who you know just treats her very brutally. And doesn't he say um, something? In, it's a great line. It's like uh, I love you so much I could kill you or something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah, which is just a <laughs> yes, perfect lo- piece of dialogue that fits very well in this uh, entire film. Yeah, it, it feels like if there is any line that's going to sum up uh, the feeling of this movie, it's I love you so much I could kill you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> this is just, yeah, just the, the most toxic, ugly relationships I think I've ever seen Yeah, most uh, dysfunctional family on film, I think. <laughs> but, it, but it's weird. It, it feels like genuine you know, expression and feelings of these characters. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a weird kind of uh, contradiction. I will say I, I never feels, felt oh, like I, I, I was just going to say, I never felt like this was um, like, I never eye rolled or anything with how exaggerated and crazy bad this family really was. It, it did feel like Andy was, was channeling something really authentic uh, inside himself, um, which For say sure. what you will about it, but it, it, it does, uh, I don't know. I, I maybe I was just expect. Sometimes with these shock movies, I think sometimes they're just doing it for the sake of it. But this all felt like it came from a genuine place, which upset me probably even more. But it works. It works really well. I, I'm, tol- I'm totally with you on there. I think you you said that phrase like uh, inside himself, like and he's inside himself. To me, I mean, yeah. What I kind of think about when I saw this movie last week was that. Um, that, that really shitty James Mangold, uh, John, I think it's John Cusack, Identity, that movie with the split personalities, because, mm-hmm. which is maybe a very lame reference point, but just the idea of in that movie, these are all metaphors of different aspects of someone's personality fighting out to like deal with their most violent impulses. But right. in Seeds, I feel like this horrible, huge McClosherbeck house is, you know, some form of Andy Milligan and all of these people are variations on different ideas he has about himself and his sexuality and his religion. And they're all just, I mean, I feel like Josh, you mentioned earlier, it's like a bunch of scenes where Carol like seduces someone and destroys them. And and to me, it feels like a bunch of these therapy sessions, just one after another. But the purpose of therapy, the therapy is not to like help them. It's to like make them kill (laughs) themselves basically. Yeah. The opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, de- definitely. It, well, and, and it feels like like a reckoning with like you know both you know sort of like this uncontrollable aspect of it, which is again this this basic idea of of the bad seed, which is um you know something that I think the mother does eventually say to the the youngest son, the one who is sent to military school, and then I think at one point someone says, well, what does that say about? you know, her womb or something like that. (laughs) And all the kids are obviously all screaming about, you know, while they're doing all these, you know, violent sexual acts, they're also, you know, screaming about their, their inheritance. And I, I I couldn't get over the scene with the, with the, the youngest son, because it starts out as the scene with the priest who is, you know, you know, not being a very good priest in the first place because he's, you know, having relationships with his brother's wife. Um, but then also it's implied that, you know, he ruined the youngest son by touching the youngest son. And later in the film, uh, Carol eventually seduces, um, 
him and is like, you know, why did you go to a slut like that, that wife that I killed in the bathtub when you could have, you know, you could have had me this whole time. And, you know, the, that the priest and the, the Carol used to play, you know, like a little game of the brother and sister playing doctor and patient. And he basically just starts openly weeping while feeling her breasts. (laughs) And he's like, God, forgive me, punish me, punish me. That scene is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's it feel it's so open. You feel it's I feel uncomfortable watching that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 again, like this is the kind of conversation that these characters are having while also, you know, talking to the son and being like, you know, you're a you're a sick little boy and the world is sick and, and, and full of hate. Um, and, uh, he talks about how he, he tries to give them love and he tries to give them beauty and he basically gets nothing in return. This is why I felt like this character was, was, you know, a very specific part of, of Andy. And, you know, it, it, it really felt like, you know, like this, this kid who just had all of these things happen to him and he's trying to put, you know, art out into the world and it, you know, it's coming out in a way that doesn't, you know, uh, that's that's infected by all of the stuff that's come from his family at the same mm-hmm. time because there's there's implication that he's also been uh, abusive and that he actually tried to like murder someone at school I think that they mentioned too at a certain point and that he has abnormal relationships and a repressed sex- sexuality and uh, you know uh, eventually I think they say that uh, he he did try to kill himself and he slashed his wrists um, and the mother just says try harder next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly the this this uh, the the mother and son sequence that take pl- takes place there. It it makes the relationship uh, the mother son psycho relationship look more <laughs> uh, functional and healthy. Yeah, it does. It's, and then and then and then he's like running out out to the the yard in the house where he's like the trees are clawing at him like when. Um, uh, she's she's running in like Texas chainsaw through the forest and everything like that. And there's a moment where like the tree, even like the natural world is like cutting him and stuff like that. Really, really uh, just like primal kind of stuff. The, the whole movie to me and ended up reading as this really like primal howl of, you know, mm. like his, his own family experiences and then how they have translated into, you know, like the kind of, um, you know, actions that he takes now and kind of like some of the ideas that he has and everything like that. And yeah, yeah. really, really brutal stuff. And again, the style also makes it unbearable because everything is just so close up and so kind of uh, stark and cheap and kind of ugly looking and all the audio is completely blown out. There's like a constant scratching and screaming sounds um, <laughs> yeah. almost. And the thing is, it's like when, you know, when they're speaking in just their normal dialogue, uh, you know, the audio isn't, isn't horrible, but a lot of the time they are just absolutely screaming at each other. So there's, there's pretty much constant distortion. Once again, it really helps. I mean, it, it just creates another layer of kind of like grotesqueness that that the that the movie has throughout. But um, definitely, well, and 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 just filthy detail too. Like I think yeah. about that monologue that the one, um, the one of the uh, like caretakers gives about you know they're they're still plotting the death of the mother and how they're going to get the money and everything and the entire monologue about him trying to find out a way to kill the mother he's just like biting these like filthy nails in close up and that's like the <laughs> choice of the shot yeah, during that yeah. 
and that 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 feels like you know the style choice that takes place throughout the in, the entire uh, you know uh, film, even in even in the sex scenes that are supposed to be you know slightly more intimate in a way. It just feels like this really grotesque rubbing of you know nails yeah. on skin and physical contortions and impulses all kind of like wrapped up into each other. Um, you can and, feel and, and, the and, splinters uh, in all the walls and the railings in the house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. definitely definitely and and it ends up all coming to a fold with obviously you know it kind of being revealed that carol is the one who is you know sort of offing these people um one by one she's the one who stabbed one of the the wives and killed the other one in in the tub um she's also basically making her brothers want to kill themselves with uh with with guilt like <laughs> like like the priest who tries to hang himself um, and then I and think when, yeah. when she makes the move on Michael near the end, uh, they give in and do that. You, you were mentioning they play like that house kind of game almost like the dialogue is very much like their children playing or something like that, which is yeah. very fucking creepy. Ugh. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, and then he eventually resists. And I think that's what sets Carol off to kill the mother down the stairs, I believe, which then sets off mm-hmm. like Michael trying to kill her and, and all of this, uh, I mean, the finale is just nothing but but death and the destruction of a fa- of an already dysfunctional family. Well, yeah, and, and she she throws acid in her sister's face and oh, like melts right. it off. Yeah, right. Almost forgot about that um, somehow. Yeah, then the the one boyfriend gets gets hit in the head and kind of like bleeds everywhere. And the climax is obviously the brother and the sister having sex, basically all around the corpses of the family <laughs> and the loved ones that we know are in the next room yeah. while they're playing their. They've reverted back to their childhood selves playing, you know, sort of like, house and you know, whatever. yeah, playing house and dress up and, you know, and, and she's, <laughs> and he's just yelling no. <laughs> so many implications. My God. He's, he, he's literally yelling no as Carol is like trying to give him a blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> stuff oh like that. Um, Jesus. And yeah, eventually she ends up. Uh, because that 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 sequence gets kind of like interrupted, yeah, she ends up basically trying to uh, kill the mother and pushing the mother down the stairs again, singing the "Step on a Crack, Break Your Mother's Back" song and laughing <laughs> over and over again <laughs> and right, stuff like that. Right. And then, and then I, yeah, basically the brother who was just having sex with her like two seconds ago then has to strangle her to death as she laughs and you know then he starts singing one of the childhood songs about like a bag of a bag of candy for mommy and daddy yeah, and things and it's, like that and it's so strange too because I think he like like he hugs her and kind of is sobs about it too so he goes from the strangling to like a hug of the dead body and then reciting the family poem or whatever the hell he's reciting and it's uh yeah it's it's so just sad and gross and angry and hateful and my god <laughs> yeah I, I like that the ending there is is it is so moving and it's and it's it is just hitting you so hard that i feel like at a certain point you, you my defenses at least start to fall away in terms of being emotionally moved by it. but i, I also <laughs> like that it's it's pretty like irresolvable like i mean everyone's dead mm, except for yeah. i guess the the new husband character but like he barely responds to it you know we've known from the start that uh, as the mom said, you know, we're all going to die. We're all basically going to die. Uh, and I, I find that the ending to me more than the tears and all uh, and those scenes of the brother hugging uh, Candy Hammond is it, it's just the sense of like this could happen again and this will keep happening. And and maybe I'm projecting that because a, a lot of Andy Milligan movies are like this, like even 
um, the ghastly ones, which came out in the same year before this one has like the ba- basically the same plot. And, but I, I just, that open endedness at the end of it, that, that sense of nothing is resolved and this bad psychic energy is still in the air. That's what really haunts me from the end of this film. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cause all definitely. he does is well, he just walks, kind of walks over everybody, calls the cops and then they just mm-hmm. like freeze frame on him. Right. Like there's nothing really yeah, and, and and the the only person alive in the family, I think, is Michael. Is the the the, the main brother who just right. strangled Carol for uh, <laughs> right. pushing so, their mother down the stairs. Yeah, so <laughs> even the guy that's left alive is not in the best mental space by the end. Yeah, to put it lightly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and after obviously everything that he's seen and all of this sort of like, because because for him, um, I think it's it's implied he tried to that, live know, his most normal life kind of thing yeah well he he, he had like kind of like a normal wife and he had yeah. like a middle class job and he was just invited home for a family get together for the first time and like you know like it's implied like a decade or two or something like that and, and yeah this is everything happened. that happened <laughs> from his childhood just exploded into you know really really you know horrific um you know violence mm-hmm. and uh yeah pivoting i think towards reductive rating round on um seeds seeds gets the uh the the, the high four from me i i think i yeah. i need some a, a little bit more uh time with this film i find this film uh <laughs> watching it twice now i still find it very difficult to watch in a way that's definitely very intentional um right and it, it definitely has has uh you know an an, an impact on me i i think that you know th- it, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, you know, stylistically of something like Spider Baby or even has a little bit of Psycho in it as well, but done in, again, Milligan's just very, very, uh, you know, cheap close-up kind of style that just feels so, you know, sickening in its uh, vision and style. And actually, the movie it, itself actually successfully feels icky before the family has even revealed their history of, you know, like sordid and despicable be- yeah. behavior. And, and, and e- each reveal of another incestuous relationship or another rape or a, some sort of violent <laughs> abuse is just stacked just like, how into deep can an this overall... Go? <laughs> yeah, like an overall you know just uh really grotesque portrait of screaming and 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 crying and you feel like you're just strapped in like another family member at dinner so there's a really unbearable quality um to this film that's obviously you know something that milligan is going for it's part of the the anger that he's feeling about you know this dysfunction and this sort of past history and also trying to you know reckon with it in its own way so uh this is my recommendation that if you ever felt like you went to a family get together and you thought that your family was fucked up uh (laughs) this will make you feel really good about this will make you feel really good (laughs) it's it's the same reason that i used to uh my mom used to sometimes watch jerry springer and i never really (laughs) got into it and she watched Jerry Springer because she said that it made her feel like her life was not falling apart Um, and that is I feel like the function of this film uh, that you know Andy Milligan is like yeah you think that you know you had you have a fucked up family and a fucked up past well imagine it was more like this and the way that he layers on that history in such a way that Jamie said that even though it's like heightened to the point of like absurd in terms of how grotesque it is um, it, it never stops feeling like, you know, that it's not coming from a, from a real place. And it is one yeah. of just genuinely the sickest and filthiest, no budget films I've, I've, I've ever seen. And it's so ugly and sadistic and, and cruel and filled with so much, uh, 
hatefulness and depravity and, and, and punishment. I definitely leave this movie feeling like I need to, to rinse my eyeballs out. <laughs> um, which, which, uh, you know, is, is a good place to be when you, uh, host a show, uh, called Sleezoids. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would give this a, a four out of five as well. I really, I did enjoy this, uh, however you want to take that. Um, but it, it, it's, it's probably, I don't know if it's, it's up there like top three filthiest things that we've watched on this, this show. I would say it's definitely on par with, uh, um, what was that one? The blood red lake or, uh, gosh, Oh, a uh, red, 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 red spirit lake, red spirit lake. Yeah. yeah. One of the few other shot on videos that we've done. Speaking of, <laughs> yes. uh, the next film we're going to be talking about. Yes. Yeah. Just, just what a gritty guy. and, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed this. It, it felt like, like, what I said previously, it, it feels like it comes from a, a genuine place. Um, so it, all of the kind of shock value just doesn't feel like it's being forced. It really feels like he's expressing some 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 inner anguish and and hatred that which definitely is, is what makes it more sad. When yeah, you think about it. definitely, mm-hmm. it definitely does. Uh, and I think my second time, I feel like I'd be able to get into that sadness a little more, just because my first time I've watched this, you know, I'm sitting down watching all this like incest and, and, and crazy murders and cheating and all this. And it was, it was sometimes hard to get past just the shock value of it. Uh, but I find myself intrigued and I, and I think I'm going to take another stab at it again. So, uh, yeah, I don't have much to add. I just think that this is, um, this is really a honest Film, one of the most authentic and honest films that we've covered. I feel like uh, th- he holds nothing back, and yeah, I would I would highly recommend it if you think that you have the stomach for it. Ah, <laughs> uh, for uh, you, Kai. Uh, hell yeah! I mean, uh, first of all, I'm honored that I brought something that really uh, grossed you guys out. That is all <laughs> I can wish for. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I totally agree with both of you. I mean, I think I, I think Jane, what you're just saying about like it does feel very honest, and that's why it isn't just boring shock value. I mean, for me, right. to a certain extent, if you you see something that is just intending to shock you, you can just get numb to it after a while. But this always yeah. feels like there's some real pain there. But I also think this movie is like super funny. We didn't really get into this. I, I think like almost every line is really really funny in in a dis- uncomfortable way. But I mean, yes. you know, we we met, we've quoted a few. I mean, the one that I like have just had in my head. I don't even really remember. I think it's in the conversation between the woman who gets acid thrown in her face and her husband. And she says, nothing can kill a bitch like mama. And <laughs> yeah, that, which is so, I mean, that's like only a of genius. Of some variety a little. <laughs> yeah. Just a the little, energy. Yeah, it, it, like the, the energy of this movie is kind of like the whole runtime feels like just the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. That's 1000 I wanted to add. <laughs> that's 1000%. And like that dinner scene, this, I mean, I think that dinner scene is the part where you can kind of see where Hooper and co were trying to make Texas Chainsaw actually kind of funny. And I feel right. like it has that energy of C's the entire time of being really upsetting and just nonstop disgusting and also like amusing and like really and like witty in its own kind of gutter way. And, and so, I, I mean, those two kind of conflicting feelings, I, I really find this movie very cathartic to watch. Like, I, I mean, I'm not as self-loathing as Andy Milligan, but, you know, on bad days, <laughs> I can kind of feel something similar. And so just... I, right. I don't know. I let I kind of let the images and the the anger wash over me a bit this time, and and I just found it not pleasant, but not exactly. Uh, it's you know I, I enjoyed it. And I want to do it again. Yeah. Would you Would you say that like how many times have you watched the uh, seeds now? 
I've you seen know? it. Uh, I think I've seen it three times now. Okay. Have you f- found that the like you finding humor in it came from watching it the second or third time, or did you find that humor initially on the first run as well? Because I did. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. There were there are moments where I definitely think they're they're so over the top that you kind of have to have like a <laughs> like a bit of a humor about it. Um, but I just think that I might get into more of his like sadness and hatred uh, the the more I watch it, and maybe it won't be that. Maybe it'll be like I actually find it more funny. I see the dark side of the humor a little more. It it definitely the humor came out to me on the second and second in this viewing. Uh, Interesting, but I, but it, it but it's I think it's less even because of the times I've seen this movie. And I had by the time I rewatched it. I had seen a fair few Andy Million movies, and I, and mm. you read the book. I mean, yeah. I think that you, I, I was able to kind of get a sense of this constant tragic comic vibe to everything. Like, and when you, you know, right. you, I, at a certain point, I start watching the Andy Milligan movies, and like when I think back to them, I don't really have clear memories of like individual films per se. Like, I have moments, and they're all swirling around, and so in that mess is just a mixture of like these absolutely horrific things and these really ridiculous things. Sometimes at the same time, you know, I mean, some of the cheapness right. comes to that. So I think that just as I've gotten a handle on Milligan as you know an author over time, that is what's kind of let me, you know, key into the humor. It's there. Not that it's like gotcha. you know, it is. It is also horrific. I think it's totally valid to not find it that funny. I think I just also. <laughs> I mean, like you know, I also am like relatively desensitized to shock and exploitation, and so it's yeah. even the even just the fact that it is like witty at all is automatically letting me key into some of its humor other over something like. August Underground, bad example, but that's the other thing I was thinking of. Okay, would the, would are there are there any other uh, like are there what's like the next Andy Milligan? You yeah, think I was just gonna have seen much Andy Milligan. The next one I would say is probably Flesh. You should watch me Flesh Pot on Forty um, Second Street, which is also okay. your syndrome. That that one's actually kind of sweet for parts of it. That's about this a uh, uh, sex worker who is just having a really tough time and, and trying to like deal with her rent and just living situation on, on 42nd street and et cetera. And she has a large cast of characters of, of, uh, you know, characters, presumably uh, Milligan new. And towards the end of the movie, she actually has a very brief and like really sweet romance with the guy played by Harry Reams from deep throat or like what it's so funny about that movie is that he, the movie he did just before that was something called forced entry. Uh, which I don't need to describe. You can get the gist of it. And he suddenly comes in and you get a real sweetness of Milligan through this character who spends like five minutes defending Staten Island to the main character. Like it has some sweetness in it. And then after that, I mean, honestly, like I think you could just like go wherever you want. They're all, I mean, I feel like Andy Milligan's kind of like Jess Franco. Like every movie is the same and different and like getting on its vibes is kind of at a certain point, you kind of got to buy into it. If you want something a little Mm. less rough, the weirdo from 89 is uh, equally as horrific and depressing, but like kind of slickly made, which is a bit disconcerting when you hear Andy Milligan's words come out of these people's mouths. Would you say that this is one of his more accessible films? No, no, I wouldn't. I okay. probably, yeah, I probably, so this, this is, is the like dirty, gritty stuff. Yeah, this is like peak Milligan. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine how he could go any yeah. <laughs> darker. But uh, if you want like the least dark version of Million Possible, he made this shit sitcom. Sorry, I said sitcom for uh, actually for a reason because he made this sitcom <laughs> called The Adventures of Red Rooster, 
that he filmed with like uh, Hal Borski, who uh, brother wrote Seeds, uh, and it's they filmed like six episodes of it to sell to V Station, and it didn't work because uh, it's awful uh, in many ways. Okay. Uh, but it's on YouTube, it's uploaded by one of the actors, and I kept saying it's awful, but I actually think it's great. I think it's a delight. It's just like uh, a oh, nice. bad sitcom, and it's a weird mix of like really aw shucks, like. Big Bangs <laughs> theory style like right. humor and then like a little bit of like uncomfortable rage and psychosexual shit just under the surface. Oh wow, that sounds interesting. Milligan doing a sitcom. That, that sounds really fascinating. I might look that no up. one no one talks about it. In the in Jim McDonald's book he has like one paragraph on it, but I think it's fun. That sounds wild. Cool. All right, well, I think that will wrap it up for uh, Seeds 1968. We are gonna be right back and we're gonna be talking about blonde death she's a real genuine three-dimensional human being sure is hot tonight I think we made it. I think we made it. Yeah. All right, we are back and we are talking Blonde Death, the 1984 sort of uh, black comedy horror, yeah. kind of like teen lovers on the run. Uh, film directed by uh, a filmmaker named, from what I could tell, everywhere else online other than on, you know, like IMDb and Letterboxd, he seems to go by the name James Dillinger, but uh, his name uh, everywhere else is James Robert Baker. What's going on there, Kai? Yeah, I think he just, uh, I think uh, James Dillinger was just, yeah, the pseudonym he used for filmmaking. Yeah, James Robert Baker is what he's credited on his books, at least. Okay, so James Robert Baker is his actual name, but he wanted, stylistically, he wanted the name James Dillinger as, like, a, his uh A tape by James name. Dillinger. And he's usually yeah. an author, correct? Yeah, he had, uh, the, this movie actually came out before his first book was published, but he's primarily known as oh, an okay. author, yeah. Okay. I could talk a bit more about some of his books later. They There is a an unfortunate... Uh, there's an unfortunate uh, rhyme in what something that happens in Blonde Death and uh, his his later life and his career. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I ended up uh, reading about that early, which I, I actually felt bad watching both of these because we didn't mention it on um, Seeds, but it um, it, it like uh, Andy Milligan ended up basically dying like in poverty alone in an unmarked Marked grave, grave yeah. Uh, yeah. from from AIDS. One of the last really things he brutal. did, I believe, before he died, was like take one of his friends out of his will for like no reason. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. That's such a really, really shitty way to go. Like, despite the fact that he made as many films that he did, like, he just died in complete poverty, and because of that, couldn't afford a burial. So he's just in an unmarked grave somewhere. But yeah, well, actually, did you see the other, the other day? Someone, uh, like, literally, like uh, two weeks ago or something, someone bought a gravestone for him. Um, Jimmy oh, that's, oh, that's, that's nice. nice. Yeah, that's nice. That's good to hear. <laughs> Well, I was very excited going going into this because we we obviously I I, I figured out the connection as soon as I saw this that um, uh, James Dillinger also uh, did he describe himself or did someone else describe him? But he he seemed to have the the be known as quote unquote the world's angriest gay man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was and I, I think was that was like a, something ascribed to him. Yeah. 
that was ascribed to him. Okay, because that that definitely when I read that, I was like, okay, so that's the connection between <laughs> yes. these films. Very angry queer artists, uh, you know, mean, letting their um, ideas a little bit about you know the sort of like family unit and suburban America more in in blonde death, and uh, you know doing that in this very sort of you know cheap style that allows them to be as ugly and transgressive as they want to be, but also you know as creative as they want to be, which is something we always talk about on the show is that obviously you know blonde death it's reported was shot on two thousand dollars so when you're shooting movies on that amount of money there's no person with money telling you no no you can't you can't have the dad spank the daughter and talk about how they used to play games together and imply all this incest um you know there's no one telling him he can't do that so he's just like yeah I'm just well, gonna throw it in, and I, I will say, um, Blonde Death. I picked up on the really grotesque and absurd sense of humor mm-hmm. a lot faster. <laughs> He's so funny. The, some of the lines in oh. in this movie are absolutely hilarious, and honestly, the the readings of them too. So the the actors are are pretty good given the they're in on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned that the, Josh. You mentioned that they. Uh, there's no one telling him like no, basically. But I mean, it's interesting because just be, not just for ten years ish before this in 1976, he made a short film called Mouse Club Confidential with uh, K's for Club and Confidential, which was about a Disney star who gets into gay bondage porn. Apparently, I cannot <laughs> find it, nor can I find much information about it. But apparently, he really pissed off a lot of people. That got, like I, the film festival got really mad at him and. Uh, I'm going to say this even though I don't, I could not find a source for it because I think it's funny if it's true, which is that Michael Medved, who invented the Golden Turkey Awards and got Ed Wood famous by saying, uh, Play Nine for Our Space is one of the worst films of all time. He apparently, after seeing Mouse Club Confidential, decided to like stop being a journalist and become a film critic. Don't know if that's true, <laughs> but it's it sounds like a legend, you know? Doesn't uh, doesn't he also have a mention of of Disney World or an impl- like a implication <laughs> yeah. of it later yeah, on they, with like a mass suicide or something like that? Yeah, well, yeah, they go to Donkey Land. I think it's what it's called, which is actually oh, okay. if, before Escape from Tomorrow uh, took all the glory. This movie actually did also shoot uh, unauthorized in Disneyland, guerrilla style in Disney. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that he he you can tell that definitely, you know, he he looked at, you know, sort of, you know, things like, you know, moving to uh, Orange County and trying to live like this normal sort of like suburban life and going to places like Disneyland and going to the beaches and things like that. You can tell that he he tried to capture that kind of setting in basically as poisonous a way as he possibly could um, when 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 making this film. And the film is so in terms of its tone, it's just so strange and, you know, strangely also kind of like you know, lyrical at times too. Like it's kind of pretty uh, sometimes, despite the fact that again, mm-hmm. this is a shot on video uh, film on, on, on analog video, obviously, which we've only talked about uh, once before Steve Carlson brought with him. We did um, boarding house and red spirit lake, where we talked about Charles Pinion, obviously, which was an incredible film and obviously really grotesque and surreal. And this film, you know, uses a couple similar qualities, but I would say that it, it almost doesn't need to go as I guess surreal with it it's almost like it's trying to depict the suburbs as you know just sort of like this this hot house of uh grotesquerie as is that you don't you don't even need to throw in you know ancient spirits anal raping gangsters um (laughs) to you know get get his point across like I mean it's it's almost red spirit like 
it's so <laughs> dense in its dialogue. Like, I feel like if it had more style, it would just be unwatchable to a certain extent. There's, I mean, there's that Paul Schrader had, uh, I don't remember where he said it, but like, you know, a movie should only have three or four good lines because every line is clever, then nothing sticks out of the, sticks out. But then this movie, I feel like every single line is written to just like hit you in the gut. And so I feel like yeah. just having it be so plain with that video really does help it breathe. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and very loosely, the film follows a uh, teenage girl named Tammy, played by Sarah Lee Wade. And it has, again, like Seeds, one of the all-timer um, poster taglines, uh, Meet Tammy the Teenage Time Bomb. 18 years of bottled-up frustration are about to explode. <laughs> and obviously she's a little blonde girl. And uh, so, yeah, she's, she's going to end up on a little bit of a killing spree and and it kind of mirrors you know like obviously it takes this uh very loose bonnie and clyde kind of framework of like romantic teen rebels kind of like on on the run and uh i i definitely did think a little bit about badlands um watching this oh, film yeah. which obviously Ter- terrence malick you know uh took on you know this this idea of you know having this very sort of like lyrical childish kind of romantic uh, runaway experience that these kids have and then kind of layers in some of the grosser things that they end up doing um, into the film and how they get taken down and this definitely has a similar idea only um, it's able to get grosser um, <laughs> which is kind of you know both you know it, it ends up in a very misanthropic place in a grotesque place, but it also, because of that, it, because of the fact that, you know, in the writing and in the performances, there is, you know, a little bit of a sense of these kids of are yearning for a kind of, uh, you know, sort of escape romance, yeah. you know, there does end up being something kind of tragic about it, even though, you know, there is, you know, very much, you can tell that, James Robert Baker is approaching this with a very, uh, you know, satirical uh, point of view as he tackles these things because the movie is just incredibly funny and incredibly witty in terms of uh, its writing at times. There's there's a lot of as we go through it, there's just there's going to be a lot of like actual just line reads that we're going (laughs) to read out at a certain point. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I mean, one, just to start off, uh, like the, the whole relationship with, with Tammy and, and her mother, um, her mother is like this, uh, very Christian woman who watches like this Christian rock performer on, on the television. At one point she sees, uh, Tammy's, I think a diary or something like that. And in it, it says like nice girls fuck and things and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And so they, they definitely have uh, friction b- between each other. And, and, and the mother isn't doing anything that seems like it's uh, really for her child. They even have a line where she says something like uh, she wants to put her college tuition towards the house because she doesn't really believe in Tammy doing anything or accomplishing anything. So, <laughs> you know, Tammy definitely has lived in a very uh, re- uh, repressed life. Uh, so far from what we've seen her. And this is kind of her like opening up a little bit and, <laughs> and expressing herself in anger as the movie goes yeah, cause on. Because they, they, the family moves from, I believe it's it's Mississippi. They move from Mississippi to Orange County. Somewhere along and, and, okay. and she have yeah, and, and and she sees it as an opportunity for like kind of like this new life where she's going to go to beach parties and they're gonna you know, there's going to be some some domesticity to it. And if if I'm correct too, the the mother is the is, she's a stepmother, correct? Yes, I think she's a stepmom because later in the movie we find out what happened to the uh, the original mom. Yes, right. yeah, we find out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we find out that the dad did something to the original. An off-screen mom. Fargo and, moment. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> and the, I, I love, cause like the, the, the stepmom plays it, you know, very much like they just, you know, like the mother, the, the daughter, they, they don't really like each other. They don't really trust each other. But then it turns out obviously that the, you know, the, the stepmom is obviously, she's trying to uh, send her in, instead of going to, to beach parties and working a part-time job for her summer, you know, she's going to send her to, you know, sort of like this, this like Christian uh, camp essentially where she's going to get, you know, it's a, it's a Bible study retreat or something like like that. Um, but I love the sequences where she just, the stepmom will just like come home and she just sees, you know, like Tammy, like reading a book and she's just like, you won't believe the hippie trash that your daughter has been reading. Uh, Proust. (laughs) (laughs) Proust. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, uh, you know, and, and then obviously then the, the, you know, she ends up getting like spanked by the dad while she's like watching, uh, you know, like a television performance taking place and everything like this. And then she he just wants to uh, dance in her underwear. Yeah. She just wants to dance in her underwear. I'm just hanging out, listening to, you know, she's, she's just like, what is this sick sexual filth that you're listening to? She's like, it's just contemporary rock music, mother. She's like, well, what are the secret messages between the lyrics? You know? Um, and I, I'm one of my favorite early lines is the dad in one of the, the creepiest, (laughs) but still funny lines when he's, when he's talking about, you know, how they used to, you know, get along better until he got this new wife that she doesn't approve of. And, you know, he says, remember when we used to, you know, we used to like play together. We used to have a great time together. And then he follows it up with this very specific detail of, you know, like what's, what's, what's wrong with a dad who gets in a dress and plays with his little girl, uh, and, and lets his little girl put mama's heels on and let her walk on his face. (laughs) Put on stilettos. Oh my God. What a line. That's unbelievable. And, and also like when, when he's, uh, spanking her or whatever, um, she says something back to him, like, uh, I can feel you smiling through your slacks. So there's just... (sighs) constant past implications <laughs> so of incest filthy. and just like it's so <laughs> gross but what once again it's like the tone that 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 uh dillinger finds is still humorous a lot of the time i found like t- to make that stilettos line you know it's it's obviously still equally gross but i just i i was shocked at how often i found the grossness really funny this time uh especially compared to um, Seeds, which I was more so just shocked by a lot of the time. This one, I don't know, the humor really worked for me on this one. So, I think it helps. Well, and, and just the, oh, go on, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it helps with some of the line readings that like compared to Seeds, like a lot of what's happening is, you know, people are streaming each other. There is a lot of just people being pathetic. Like that's the line with the dad of the stilettos. Sure. He is so, he's like on the ground, if I remember correctly, and he's like almost crying. He's drunk. So like it's easier to take <laughs> some of the, I think more horrific things in this movie when they're delivered from people who are in usually some sort of underdog status, whether it be age or even just like state of mind. And I mean, of course, of course we get the class stuff later as well. And it hel- I think it helps, right. it, like, you know, without getting too much into it, like some of the violence that happens is a little more palatable coming from like someone who's been completely failed by the system rather than some people on equal footing in the seeds house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do just love some of the, you know, the, um, detail of 
you know, stuff that's, that's, that's obviously in, in, in some of the dialogue, like the way that they speak to each other, like the, there's just so much specificity to the way that like the, the stepmom speaks to her and stuff. Like when she calls her, um, uh, little miss sex machine sniffing surfer crotch, that's just like poetry. <laughs> it, it, it literally like, it, like it's grotesque obviously, but that's the, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very well written in that way. And then obviously the mother follows it up with you're spending the summer with Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then wishing that, that, you know, her mutilated body gets found on the side of the freeway as she runs away from home <laughs> and, and things like that. It's, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's the teen girl run away from a repressed household. There is, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, like you've, you've seen it before, but there, there's so much just like weird specific detail in it that, you know, makes it, you know, very singular in, in the kind of way that he does it. And, and she ends up, you know, going on the run and finding, um, a local, uh, like, uh, you know, lesbian woman who has with an eye uh, patch, an, with an eye patch, also connecting yep, the two films. There's a connection <laughs> with a, with with an eye patch who is also involved in crime and like served in the military or something like that. Um, <laughs> she's just such a strange periphery character that is meant to represent kind of like this sort of like oddball sense of freedom that I think Dillinger is kind of going for. Like it's, it's someone who exists completely outside the norms of suburbia. And that's why, you know, um, Tammy, you know, kind of picks up on her and finds her interesting in a kind of way. Even though she too is like, as miserable as everyone else in her own way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a lot of people seeking something else and not really finding it because there is nothing else out there. They just kind of find like an endless suburbia. almost. Yeah. What's that, the line? It's like that, vast, and that, and that it, vast swaths of orange County, I believe is the line she uses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's very interesting in that kind of way where it's like all of these characters are trying to transgress against something that is, you know, obviously limiting and kind of, you know, hurting their lives in a way, but they can't find a way to transgress against it. That isn't also, you know, kind of, you know, um, harmful in its own way that it, it is freer. I think they feel in, in a lot of times, in a lot of cases, they feel like they have more control and more power. But, you know, there's also still this kind of, you know, Im- Im- implicit ugliness um, to it. Um, and I love, too, that a lot of this is kind of like um, voiced over by Tammy as well, where Tammy yeah. like it, 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 I feel like that's literally ripped from Badlands a little bit. You can almost feel the kind of um, Malik poetry to the way that they kind of talk about. Uh, things that are happening except again hers are done in this very uh in where where baker has done it in his own unique way where instead of you know uh you know you have sissy spacek maybe talking about you know sort of like the beauty of the sunset you get uh <laughs> you get uh tammy here being talking about like running nude through kmart or, or sitting on uh, richard gear's face i was face. just gonna say the richard gear line yeah that made me laugh so fucking hard I also love that that happens the moment after she gets a note from her stepmother and one of the first things the stepmother says in it is calls her like a repugnant sinner in the actual (laughs) note she leaves for her. So that's just, it's constant. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and eventually she ends up, um, you know, very similar to the Bonnie and Clyde Badlands kind of, you know, framework. She, she ends up running into, um, you know, this, this, this guy who has recently, uh, escaped from prison and who takes, you know, her, her hostage at, at her house, you know, when, when she's there and alone. And it's implied that, 
he uh, he disemboweled the warden's wife to get away. I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but I love how specific he's like, you know, it was pretty easy to escape. All I had to do was, you know, pretend to be a security guard and disembowel the warden's wife and then just walk <laughs> out. You know, it was uh, <laughs> that was all it took. And, and I guess she yeah, seems like a sense of freedom in this character. Yeah, the, the, the same the same thing that she kind of I mean, at, at first, obviously, she's distressed. You know, she's being yeah, taken yeah. hostage and this guy is, you know, in, you know, sort of. Uh, you know, threatening violence against her. And he's also very, uh, you know, he's being very, he's, he's also in his own way trying to forcefully seduce her in a way. But she does, she does eventually see that in his own way, you know, he doesn't have to live under the same conditions that she does because he's taking some sort of control. And he talks about, you know, the, 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 the rich pukes and, 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 and scumbags and, you know, uh, <laughs> he, he talks about all the people that he's killed as like a guy who sold weapons to Latin American dictators and like people who ran child porn dungeons and like really nasty stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's interesting because you, know, you talk about how much of this is like a lot of these characters are, are aspirational. And I feel like she sees in him, like he is against all the systems that she wants to be against, but hasn't been given the space to like express that rebellion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She I think that's spot on. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. That I uh, just uh, nothing that led into uh, this. Gotcha. Oh, sorry. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is, I think, um, the first like initial real connection, I guess, that they kind of have is that he mentions that there was cyanide in the drink that the mother left for her. So I think isn't yes. that like a the, the first kind of sign that it's like, oh, well, maybe even though he's tied me to a chair and has me at gunpoint. Uh, he, he hasn't tried to kill me like my stepmother has. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that. That that's what's interesting is that, that you know to to her like obviously this guy who is who is an escaped murderer. <laughs> yeah, he, she he he has more moral high ground to her than right. than her 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 mom. Um, when, when that happens, because he's just like, uh, that I, she leaves a note where she tells them that there's Tang and Tylenol <laughs> and yeah, she, so she, she puts cyanide in the Tang what a combo. and yeah. And then combine it also with the Tylenol, um, which I, I guess was more, uh, considered more dangerous back in the day. Uh, I don't remember what it had in it, but I know that there's a reason that it was. Um, yeah. So the, the mom was essentially trying to kill the stepmom was trying to kill Tammy, um, and it was a plot between her and a pastor, which I think is also another connection that there's, you know, there's a, there's a religious angle um, to this where a priest is involved. Yes, priest who fuck. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, it, it ends up kind of, you know, starting this uh, this very interesting relationship between her and her captor that, you know, results in her asking him to take her own virginity um, while pointing a gun at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And, and it's one of those things where like you, you know, obviously this is something that, you know, in another movie would be played as just, you know, very grotesque and in, in the way that it's styled and textured, I think it still kind of is, but there's something so, I guess, uh, you know, sort of juvenile about the character of, of, of Tammy and the way that yeah. she views all of this, that there, you know, she's, she sees it as something genuinely romantic or as she says multiple times throughout the film, uh, it beats watching MTV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like Which surprisingly so calm about all of this that's that's going on I mean you know she has her like distressed moments but a lot of the time she's like talking back to whoever is putting her through that or 
she's just kind of calmly making jokes about the situation. Uh, I, I found her confidence to be endlessly funny um, throughout the film. Yeah, well, and, and I think at a certain point too, she also doesn't care about you know she she sees kind of like the the doomed end point yeah. of the situation that she's in, and at one point she literally says, you know, we might die. But so long as you're inside me when it happens. <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful line. That's so, that's yeah. so romantic, honestly. <laughs> I love that. It's also like it, another line that's, it's, I mean, not in the same vein exactly, but uh, they're on the beach and she asks them, he, she asks him like, we'll, we'll be together forever, right? And he replies with, in this world or the next. So they both have that kind of understanding that this is probably going to end in, in tragedy or death or violence or something in, in those in that realm. Um, 100, I mean, even tied into that, like when she says she first loves him, right? Like before that scene on the beach, she's like, Oh, I love you. And he says, and I'll get one last quote out of the way for now, but Oh baby, you better be careful. Last girl said it to me, got decapitated when she stood up at the top of a roller coaster. Like for this guy, <laughs> love and death have been there since the beginning. And for her, I guess she right. doesn't know love. And if death is the, is the opposite of, uh, you know, this imprisonment, Sure enough. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah and, and, and what's more uh, top of the world than standing up at the top of a roller coaster? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's a very hilarious and metal way to go out. It's, oh, um, it is. And, yes. and again, so again, just so much specificity to it in that kind of way. Yeah. Like, that's such a strange line to include. But, and, and also, though, it, it kind of resembles, you know, the path that they eventually go on. Like, these characters do feel in a way like they're on a roller coaster and they're going somewhere. And, you know, obviously the way that it, you know, very absurdly and tragically, you know, ends for these characters for anyone, obviously, who is familiar with Bonnie and Clyde. We've talked about how it has the framework of that story. And they literally are watching Bonnie and Clyde at one point on on TV in in the house as well. Yeah. And specifically the part where you can see the bullet riddled bodies like sliding out of the car (laughs) and stuff like that. So, you know, the the movie sets up exactly where it's going super, super early on. So you, you basically know that these kids are going down. So all you get is kind of like these brief fleeting moments of, you know, a kind of, you know, of a, a very, you know, a, a, a very, a, a freedom for a very specific type of person who's in a very specific type of, of you know, class-based reality, right? Yeah. You know, like other people wouldn't assume that this is necessarily, you know, it's, it's not their, their version of where they of would freedom. hope to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I find yeah. so... But, 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 but for these characters, it is, and that's what I think is so cool is that it's a genuine expression of, yes, these things that they're doing are so kind of, you know, sort of like uh, simple and, you know, at, at a certain point kind of, uh, you know, sort of grotesque and limiting still in a way. But to them, it's not at all. They are like, oh, my God, this is like the most power and control I've ever had or ever been able to express in my life. And they love it. Yeah. That's what I find so moving with the movie is that, you know, it's this sense that, yeah, exactly what you just said. It's. it's they for them it is so cathartic, but we can see the limits of their imagination. Like we can see where they can't yeah. bring them, and and I think that uh, you know James R. Baker is like very aware of this idea of. I, I mean, I grew up in you know uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and there's a lot. It's a place where there's you can't get anywhere if you don't have a car. You know, it's all strip malls and and just like sh- and you know car dealerships as far as the eye can see. And I find mm-hmm. that sense of just like they are still trapped within like what ideas of 
fun and expression and living life they've been exposed to. And even these guys who've gone to jail, basically all they do in the movie, and sure, this is partially budget, I imagine, but like they just go to the beach and like fuck around because, and they go to Disneyland. Uh, I mean, the idea of like Mexico is such an abstract idea here. It's almost purely like a genre archetype more than anything that they keep mentioning, uh, even though, you know, as you just said, they, they've already seen the movies that, they, that tell them how they end. And I just, I find that, that, that sense of, of almost going far enough, but not quite, I find that very moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me, me too. One, one thing that I, that I thought about while watching um, this film that kind of reminded me, it, it, it captures a similar experience that I got kind of watching um, Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers, mm-hmm. which is oh, a similar yeah. thing of like these characters going on this kind of journey and, 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 and letting loose, but you know, not letting go of the kind of like, you know, sort of like the, the, the uglier realities that, you know, make that kind of, um, freedom of expression and freedom of, um, you know, sort of inhibition in a way possible that, you know, like they, they get to go on kind of like this, 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 you know, very slick party, um, experience, but you know, the way that the kind of, you know, grosser elements of the crime genre, you know, bleeds into that and then becomes one with the freedom aspect. They start to accept that aspect of it and you get both until it's this weirdly, you know, grim and beautiful thing kind of at the same time. And that's something that I think that this film does that I haven't seen in another film where you get, you get, you know, obviously this, this tone is that, you know, Dillinger, I think is taking the character of, of, of Tammy and her, you know, her, her kind of fantasy experience that she's going on this roller coaster that she sees herself going on. And he takes that absolutely seriously while not letting the uglier elements, you know, dissipate in any meaningful way. Mm. In fact, there's one of my favorite moments is a part that mixes them in, in perfect unison. Um, which is, which is crazy. It's one of the parts where they, you know, it's right after they talk about, you know, when they're, they finally go kind of badlands mode and they are literally just like riding out together and going to the beaches together. I think that's part of the part where she talks about where they share intimate secrets and they, you know, they, they look over the vast mediocre expanses of orange County. Um, and they, they're like, there's a mutual throbbing that's too much for our bodies to contain and everything like that. And they say something along the lines of, as they're tying the stepmom in the garage and like beating her and they go, the world truly does belong to young lovers. And as, as it zooms in on the murderous, you know, stepmom tied up and then it's bam cut to this like really, really classically romantic swirling beach kiss that (laughs) they, that they have. It's literally like that, you know, that, that, that end of a Hollywood movie kind of 360 degree camera spinning around as they make out on the beach. And the voiceover is her saying, uh, you know, while they're making out, while this romantic music is playing, while this like classically romantic form is is over top of it, the voiceover is: I pictured um, Vern and the stepmom strung up like rancid sacks of beef, shoving clutches up their asses and yanking hard so that the guts come out like a pinata. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Which is like she, she's literally saying this in the voiceover while the romantic aspects are playing. So you get them both completely interchangeably. And I thought that that was just like a perfect moment of exactly, you know, what, you know, uh, James Baker is doing here as a filmmaker. Yeah. But yeah, as, as they, um, you know, like as they, you know, this, there's this kind of like, uh, 
this this romantic aspect and this crime aspect, and they start to sort of build um, kind of interchangeably. They end up getting together with uh, a, a third friend who breaks out of um, prison. I believe he was. And his I'm trying cellmate? to remember. Yeah, he was he was his cellmate, and it's implied that they had you know like uh, like a sexual relationship with one another because that was just the way that it kind of worked. Yeah, um, and then they end up having like a you know like a love triangle between the three of these people who have all had sex with one another. Yeah, you get it, which is you get the cool. classic line, uh, you know the rules. Loser gets it up the ass. <laughs> yes. So they have a great friendship. Yeah, Sammy. Uh, Tammy walks in on them uh, wrestling in uh, one half sexual, one half a uh, little less sexual, I guess. And uh, yeah, that merely blows it all up. I, I love the line that. Um, the the brunette guy says to the blonde guy when he's trying to like sell him on Tammy, he's like, Tammy isn't just some like pig I picked up at a hotel. She's a genuine three dimensional human being. Like his bar is so <laughs> low, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I find it funny too that that his friend basically home invades him the same way that he home invaded Tammy. And he doesn't realize it. Yeah. And then he turns around and he's like, hey, we know each other. What's up, dude? Oh, that seems so funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and, and I think, what, is it, what does he say, too? He said that the, the other dude who was in the cell with them didn't make it out because he tried to hotwire the Oscar Mayer weenie mobile and got <laughs> shotgunned. Yeah, that, <laughs> that line is like, I, I hear that and I'm like, what is it? Like, I know what that means in like various pieces, but altogether is very confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just really, really, uh, you know, strange, um, you know, again, cause this is, this is, this is, you know, at, at a certain point operating as, you know, like a bit of like a, a, you know, more horrifying crime movie in a, in a kind of way, including some detail where like, you know, like the, the lesbian friend, who who she makes and who has an attraction to her and gets very upset that she is uh, seemingly starting uh, like a relationship with two men. Uh, she's very upset about that, but then takes her on a journey where she's going to go and get revenge on a guy. This seems crazy. And she breaks into his. <laughs> he, she breaks so... into his apartment, scoops his eyeball out with like an ice cream scoop or something, <laughs> and then runs his eyeball through the garburator. Oh yeah, my favorite part though is when he just kind of accepts what happened and grabs a Budweiser and then just starts watching television to... again. That's so that was yeah, like, just goes I laughed to watching so football. fucking hard. I can't even believe it. <laughs> Like, it's like this dude, just the acceptance of it and to grab like the American King beer. Oh, incredible. I, Love it. I, I think, I think that seems a really good example as well of, you know, Josh, what you were saying earlier, like this, these mixture of these two, like the grimness and like the genuine emotion of it. Like, I think there is as much as that like militant lesbian character is, is a caricature. Like I think by the time we get to that scene, we have some empathy for her. Like, she is in her own way, you know, uh, scummy and very predatory, but she is like, on the other hand, like she, to a certain extent lonely. And I think that she is a very angry person for understandable reasons. And so in this scene, like it, it's horrible and ridiculous and it's very funny, but I, and I, but I don't think that like Baker sees it entirely like that. I also think he genuinely like feels for her and he like had, he has this genuine sense of like, yes, you go girl like you did it you got you got this revenge and you you can't have sex with Tammy but at least you can uh, at least you can get revenge on your ex-boyfriend yeah 
Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's supposed to be implied that he like took her eye out, yeah. right? Which is so it's literally yeah. eye for an eye is what's happening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is another good joke. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, again, it's, it's never, you know, expressed literally or in dialogue or anything. You're just watching a one-eyed woman scoop another man's eyeball out of his head. Yeah, that scene really does feel like out of left field. Um, just, And it's funny to say that, given the movie that, that we're watching. But, uh, I mean, as soon as she enters in there and then the, the, just she starts scooping out that eye and, and there's just those weird comedic beats, it, it, it does feel like a, a strange scene compared to everything else, oddly well, enough. It, they even like she ditches the two guys she's with, right? I remember correctly. It's like it's literally just a detour yeah. in the movie. It does feel like very haphazardly put in. It's just like Baker was like, "Oh, I really want to have her like tear the guy's eye, but I can't figure <laughs> it out to put it in." So let's just let's just take a little drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's, that's when, that's when the two guys start like roughhousing with each other and looking like they're about to have sex. And that's oh, when they right. come, mm. that's when they come back to the house. And obviously Tammy is very upset seeing the two of them together and not with her. And the, the militant lesbian character is with her and sees this happening. And she goes, Oh, well, you know what, what's going on here? You're trying to, you're trying to rape you're trying to rape each other. You're trying to rape her or something like that. And she grabs out like a, like a giant shear. Oh, yeah. And she literally just starts trying to cut their dicks off. And they're just <laughs> screaming, that bitch trying to cut my dick off. <laughs> oh my God. And yeah, just really like just strange uh, things happening. Uh, like, and then I think she, while she's trying to cut their dicks off, she's yelling rapists and homos at them while she's doing that. But then it ends up turning into a thing where the uh, main uh, guy who, you know, is actually romantically involved with Tammy ends up, you know, pitching, you know, like this, that's just what things were kind of like in prison. You know, like we can, you know, we can, they're, the re- the feelings that we were having are real that despite what you saw you know i'm not like cheating on you or anything it's just you know i have a past relationship that i'm kind of accountable to in a way and his way of pitching you know sort of like a love triangle where it's like maybe you know my my old friend and my new friend and we could you know we could be all together he <laughs> describes it as a menage a trois yeah yes okay. <laughs> it'll be a great menage a trois if the French and, uh, can do it, I can't, so I, can we? What a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's like, that's what she says, right? Yeah, that's yeah. What, how she responds. That's exactly it's it, yeah. like, it feels like they're trying to channel this almost like classy romanticism given the everything else that's surrounding them. It's very funny. Yeah, this is this is where they start entering the world of the um, the more, uh, the, the, the European uh, exactly. crime that's right. film, uh, Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> if it's good enough for the French... Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because you know at, at this point too she's finding out you know more of the sort of like toxic um, history of of the family and everything. What what is it that she finds out that the dad did to the mom? She, I believe what it is is that he drunkenly accidentally pushed her into a wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when I do that. <laughs> and he like he has and he to like the best of us. It's the best of us. Yeah, we all we all get drunk and accidentally. Push people to wood chippers. It's it's the way he says it as well. Like he calls her to confess. Like it's one of those great moments where he did not need to tell her that. Like telling her that is only causing her more pain. And I love how in that moment, just by the end, by the end of the phone call, she's done with her dad. She's like, and, and she's done with everything. Honestly, I think that's the, that phone call is the moment she's dead. Like honestly. Mm-hmm. 
Well, because yeah, she she finds out that that happens, and then also the um, the eye patch uh, woman ends up dying because is it because she drinks the tang or is it the Tylenol? I can't remember which one she takes, but she 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 ends up you know hanging out in their house and ends up you know drinking the actual cyanide poison or or whatever and ends up dying. And I love Tammy's little uh, speech for her because every experience she had with her was basically you know like the woman pursuing her sexually or joining her for like violent acts that she's going to commit around Orange <laughs> County. Right. And that was her only experience with this woman. And she was, and and I love the way that because um, I mean it's, credit needs to go to the performances I think too because the way that really Sarah good. Lee Wade delivers this line I think is so perfect. But she goes, you know, I know she was pushy and that she turned out to be a psycho, <laughs> but she seemed nice. You know, she was good people. <laughs> it's, she still sounds so homegrown. Grown is she? She maintains that like sense of you know Midwestern politeness even in the middle of all the this crazy time. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and I really love that. Like, you know, she she sees this person who was doing bad things, but you know, was not as evil as her own stepmom. So you know what? She's good people. <laughs> <laughs> she's a, she, she's a real person at the very least. <laughs> this is what leads into the accidental death of the parents in the garage as well, right? <laughs> where, where they park up against the garage and just leak <laughs> carbon monoxide into it, which and eventually Vern kills shows up too. Like he doesn't even realize, but he's going into the garage trying to. Uh, 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 untie the mother and that's when the parking happens and the exhaust and all that. It's just a classic misunderstanding. This yeah, is, this of, of, of death by carbon monoxide. <laughs> this scene is also like, uh, uh, not secretly, I just, just metatextually is very sad because this is uh, basically how James Albert Baker uh, d- killed himself eventually. Uh, oh, yeah, really? I read that. Yeah, I guess some content warnings in uh, for previously, but whatever. Uh, it, it's... He's, they all I know mean, on this show. Yeah, they're fair enough. They all do know. <laughs> we all we also we already talked about seeds. Good point. What am I talking about? Yeah. Uh, but he's. I mean, Robert Baker is he's fascinating. His books. I've only read two of his books, but they're both incredible. He. I mean, uh, we're talking about how much this movie is influenced by Badlands and Bonnie and Clyde, and how it's in the movie. And he's a huge movie buff. His book Boy Wonder is an oral history of like a fake new Hollywood producer, which I cannot recommend enough. It is an incredible book and so funny. But his last book that he releases called Tim and Pete, which is like, I guess considered in some circles, like kind of a new queer classic. And that book is like kind of like before sunrise, but like post uh, or pre peak AIDS crisis uh, is a little bit of a Mm. cliche way to describe it. But that book ends with, without spoiling it, like the advocation of political assassination, like which got James (laughs) R. Baker in trouble. Like he was basically like, yeah, if someone killed Ronald Reagan because of how he's dealt with AIDS, that'd be cool. And you know, I mean, I kind of agree with him, but uh, I guess I'm not a published author, so I'm allowed to say that here. But like, that led to him not getting published or like no one would touch him because he was so controversial. And he was, he kind of had a following before that, as I understand it. But after this book, he, I think he self published one thing online and then he sadly took his own life. And so I think, you know, I mean, like any Milligan, there is, you can feel a lot of these, you know, I guess sublimating bits of self loathing coming through the narrative. I mean, that obviously. He could not. I doubt he was thinking about blonde death in, in wherever his moments were. But I, I do think that mm-hmm. that that death and those deaths in the film, like it, it is so absurd that I think it goes back to being tragic again. Like these characters are awful, but they get killed not even because it's not even like an expression of Tammy and company's like freedom. They didn't, yeah, they didn't even mean right. to do it. Exactly. Yeah, at least it's in just, seeds, it's like there's 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 like the, the, the hatred almost comes from that that family love that's 
forced upon you when you're in that kind of unit, and it's yes. and yeah, there, there, there's definitely a lot more intent uh, right. going on. So there's in, more in seeds. Yeah, that that's that's a good point. I haven't looked at it that way. Yeah, well, and I, I love too because her response to finding him was she, she's like, "Oh shit, he wasn't due back for another week." Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's all she says. And, and, oh, and, and I like too that you brought up you brought up his uh, his opinion on Ronald Reagan too because Reagan gets cited in this as well. Where they where where they they mention that you know how come no one ever kills the pukes all the cool people Jim Morrison James Dean they all die, they die young. young and all the tight asses get to go on living and yeah. stuff like that like, you can definitely feel a little bit of his own expression in there and I felt like it really <laughs> expresses how they just feel about life like it does feel like they're on the track to the fast death this whole time yeah and exactly. so when you see that line it's almost like it kind of relates to I think her like MTV watching that she says as well earlier on it's just like she's she's viewed this the pop culture and she sees all these cool people dying of whatever it is drugs violence all that and so th- she I think she almost sees that as like the way to go rather than be the old square um, and that really does say something about their trajectory Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they, they they end up finding out that the guy that they're hanging out with, I think his name is Troy. They find out that also yeah. at, at a certain point because they the the musician that they're watching on TV. I think they later get a report that he he died as well. So he also he also died young. Okay. And then while they're watching that, Troy tells a story about how he killed his parents. Oh, <laughs> and he and he and he laughs about it, and he gets one of the best lines in the movie, which is, "Yeah, I made it look like a psychopath done it." <laughs> yeah it's like oh that's good yeah you know he he just killed his parents but he was like yeah and you know i I overdid it so that you know they you know because i'm a normal parent killer i I wouldn't do that unless (laughs) i was just trying to trick somebody (laughs) and that makes it so much sadder what happens to him later as well how hard he really tried to kill how hard he killed his parents really makes the what his final fate is very sad in its own horrible way I also like the, there's one part where they imply that he goes and does something incredibly violent. I can't remember if they show it, but he shows up to the house with flowers <laughs> and uh, Tammy's yeah. like, where'd you get those flowers? And he just goes, don't worry about it. And that's it. <laughs> and I just love the, like, it, just, I've said it a bunch of times, but just the, these constant implications of what the, the darkness surrounding them is both humorous and worrying throughout mm. the film. Yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. Well, because there, there's a part two where I think she's sort of like reflecting on her previous life with her dad and some of the good times that she had with her dad. And mm-hmm. um, the, the the one dude brings up, the, he says something along, along the lines of, you know, it's good to have memories. And then she brings up, you know, yeah, but he tricked my real mother into jumping into a tree shredder. <laughs> um, so like, you know, like the, the, the memories are infected with that kind of knowledge of the things that they've, you know, like they, they've actually done. So once again, right. you're getting kind of like this, this sort of like, this uh, th- this warmness, this sort of like fantasy aspect, and you're getting you know sort of like the grim reality of it as well. Even though the grim reality in this film is still very absurd, and then while also doing that, you know, you get some sick jokes the whole time. Oh. One of my favorite jokes happens around this point in the movie where they say um, the one guy goes up to Tammy and says, "You know, we've we've been putting our heads together. We've got a plan. We're going to go rob a theme park." And and <laughs> she says, "Yeah, I noticed you've been putting your heads together. You probably thought I was sleeping." <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of another great line where I think it's her inner monologue, and she says something like, "She's not too sure about the new guy, but he's great in the sack." <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> 
and then and then you also get you know again you you, you get the sexual aspect to it and you know it's meant to be this sort of like liberating thing in a kind of way that these are the sexual relationships that they have but then there's this dead serious moment where they say you know the reason you know that so they they end up going to donkey land or whatever that's basically disneyland they literally go to disneyland and shoot at disneyland in the film and 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 you can tell when they show it too (laughs) yeah you can very obviously tell and he i think he he tells tammy yeah you know the reason troy is like acting weird here uh, is because, you know, he, last time he was at Donkey Land, uh, Pinocchio caught him jacking it in the mountain <laughs> and told his dad, and his dad made him do it again, but with sandpaper. No <laughs> oh, space that Baker's not like, gotta make, gotta put some shock in here. Every joke. Yeah, every single one. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I love this 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 final sort of like reel of the film that ends in this kind of bit of pop gratuity, which again kind yeah. of circled me back a little bit to Spring Breakers. But it's like they literally plan on like robbing Disneyland in like these 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 tracking shots, and they like break into the offices with the guns and everything, while all the people are cheering on the rides outside and everything like that. And it's it's the, this actually really like thrillingly tense kind of moment. It made me wonder what like you know you know, if he ever got a shot at like more of like a, like a thriller film that he could have done something like that. Cause the, the moment where they actually rob Disneyland is super cool. And also then they keep throwing in that absurdity to it when they're driving away. My favorite line probably in the entire movie, I know we've said a lot because this is just a very, you know, quotable, very yeah, well written film, you know, despite how cheap it is. And, one of the the line that he gets as they're driving away from Disneyland, like taking a dildo from a baby, <laughs> <laughs> which is just a, which is just a, a set of words that literally no one has said before or after. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. But it's beautiful. It is. I, 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 I love that. It, it, it feels like a perfect expression of of that character. And then yeah, also it has the the weirdest. Um, form of mass murder I've ever seen in a movie because Troy disappears for a little while as they're doing the robbery because he's pouring the tang, the cyanide tang into all the, basically the syrup and water. And they say on the news that, you know, like whoever did this, was someone who previously worked here and they mentioned that he did work there at one point. He knew all the, you know, the, the, he, that, that was how they knew where to go to rob everything was because he previously worked there at one point. Right. So they literally killed everyone at Disneyland. <laughs> oh, what's that? It's, it's so funny because it kind of doesn't, like it happens off screen and they see the news for uh, newscast and it has that amazing, I mean, again, an amazing line where the reporter says like, I haven't cried since ET, but this is too much. And, <laughs> and I love that line for a few reasons. One of which is that it's just so fucking funny. But also, I mean, we were talking about earlier how a lot of the latter half of this movie is kind of these earlier moments and memories being kind of corrupted by the badness of the world. Her mom alerts her dad. I mean, even the sense of like what her, her stepmother was, you know, and this care, these characters just trying to like almost remove aspects of their past, even with Troy Killing's family. And here we have like him going to this like place of his youth and a place for many people's youth where a lot of people have nostalgia for and just like wiping it out. Like it's like the full self annihilation, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also yeah. love that line. It's so good. The like, I haven't cried this much since ET. I, I find it. It's also saying something like, "This guy hasn't really felt much of anything throughout oh, his yeah. life. Mm-hmm. If like the only thing that made him cry last was was ET, and then this is the one moment that makes him like feel something again." Uh, I, d- I definitely felt like there was an implication that he just uh, 
and and you know he's he's just some guy so i guess it's just saying like your average person or whatever uh often feels more or more connected even maybe to like pop culture regardless Mm -hmm. of its emptiness um than they may think. Well, yeah, like the, like 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 his his context for the emotional reality of feeling Exa- sad. Exactly. Is ET. Exactly. <laughs> and and you just watched like a Jim's Jim Jones level mass suicide <laughs> thing here. Or I guess it wasn't a suicide in in this context. Yeah, mass homicide. Yeah, mass homicide. So yeah, I, that that equivalence is is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, well, and they they end up hunting them down, like, and, and finding them at the property, and the cops end up trying to perform a, a raid, and they, you know, they're they're going, we know you're in there, we know your names, and everything like that, and one of the the again the just the perfect merging of comedy and tragedy in this is that you know they're they're trying to run out the back of the house, and they end up calling out for Troy's name and saying that they have his parents out there and stuff like that. Uh, or but he killed his parents or, or did he kill his mom and they said they found his dad or I, I, th- I can't I, I think they're I think both I, I think they dead. don't know his because I, right. I remember but, but they, the guy what, what do they, what do they call dead. out to him they say like it's your oh. it's one of your like they put supposedly one of his parents on the phone on like the loudspeaker right and then they're saying yeah. you know come out here we still love you and then the uh, the other the other guy is saying like Troy you, you killed your parents like Troy you did they're yeah, not there yeah that's what it is okay <laughs> yeah because they they, they, they they put his parents on and have him shouting at him and it's literally convincing him and, and, and I love too when he's walking out the back door and they call his name and he's like shit they know my name too he's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. fuck um, and and yeah they you know they were like so the, they're literally you know, pitching him with like, you know, we have your parents here. Come on out. We're going to take you in, you know, cleanly. You're going to be reunited with your parents. And they're literally telling him, dude, you know, you, you, you told us you killed your parents. Those aren't your parents. You killed them so he, hard. So yeah, he, he, he's so overwhelmed by, you know, obviously what he's just done. And as Kai pointed out, kind of annihilating his past by going back to um, Disneyland and, and performing a mass murder there. But also, there's that sense that, you know, you know, he he on some level, he kind of wants to go back and he gets this line where he says, like, you know, I want to be a little boy again with mommy and daddy. And he runs oh. out to the front of the property being like mommy and daddy. And they literally just brutally gun him down. It's, it's that mixture and again it, of like the absurd hilarity of it. And then just th- that's so sad, too. You know, just like the, I want to resort back to my childhood so I can just feel safe and comfortable again. Yeah. And it's such a such a really, you know, like really, really brutal moment that's followed up by, you know, um, Tammy and uh, the other guy, you know, still going, you know, on the run for a little bit. And they eventually uh, see, you know, two guys in suits walking up to their house and thinking that it's the FBI. They basically take suicide pills and start having sex, like exactly how they said they wanted to go out, where they're going to die in each other's arms. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, it turns out that they aren't FBI agents, but <laughs> yeah. they're like door-to-door salesmen. They're, they're like, I, think I think they're Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, yeah. <laughs> so they, they literally end up killing themselves for like no reason. They weren't actually being caught. But they they get this last yeah. moment of thinking More that they're killing themselves irony. in this moment of of tragic romance, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, where they 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 literally die uh, exactly how they said that they wanted to die. They and they chose it, 
And yeah, and then it, it, it turns out that the people in suits who are knocking at the door literally just, you know, leave. Whereas if they were the FBI, they would have just literally like fucking broke in. It's it's so <laughs> I think I think that's so it's so funny and it is very ironic. And it's also like it's so much sadder even than the Troy scenes of me when they die, because it's like they, you know, they're escaped. And obviously they can't go to Mexico because they don't have the money and Troy's gone. But like they're still in Orange County. They're in some random suburban house. And even though it's not the FBI, it is just like more of, I think, the noise that they see in the rest of the, uh, the town, the society. Like it is just two, you know, random uh, norm, normal people who are trying to, trying to sell them something. Admittedly, it's a religion in this context, but they're still trying to sell them something. And they're still trying to mm-hmm. invade their space with their like, you know, li- lack of rebellious spirit of the normalcy. And I think that it's, that's what really makes the ending hit me so hard is this idea that even though it's not the FBI, like they, they know they weren't going to last. They, they chose to kill themselves, but no matter what they, they have chosen to not be made for this world. That's constantly encroaching. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's really, that, that ending definitely really, um, hit me. And it, 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 it's interesting, again, because, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, you're watching these kids, like, do genuinely, like, psychotic behavior. Um, but the way that, you know, you're made the entire step of the way to, to understand that, you know, like, this is more, um, you know... Uh, freeing and a better option to them mm-hmm. than the you know sort of like the the repressive very ugly uh, aspects of of suburbia that they're kind of fighting against and yeah to watch where that ends up for them it's really brutal because as we kind of mentioned it, it it shows that sort of limit of what is possible for them to do you know if these were people with more money you know they probably wouldn't have done you know any of this stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that literally th- this, this was their option to exercise power and control and to transgress against the system. Like that's literally the, the options that they were given. Yeah. Um, and then when you, when you kind of click that in with the, you know, sort of tragic comedy of everything that, that takes place and where they end up going, it's, it's really brutal and really sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pivoting, um, towards, I think, uh, reductive rating round on on this one. This one gets the Jamie four for me, which nice. is a very specific kind of four I'm yes, sure many is. are familiar <laughs> with now, but it's like yeah. It's, it's like I've I've almost convinced myself of the five talking about the film. Right. Um, right. I think I want to give it another watch before I do that. But like this was a really really close for me because I think that this you know seeds I think has is really really well done and is is in a in a different way. And I think that there was something that did speak to me a little bit more about you know again that 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 mixing of the the you know the the grotesque reality versus you know sort of like the 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 fantasy aspect of it and I felt like that contradiction um, you know the, and the way that it's applied throughout the entire film ended up you know uh, really getting me in the gut kind of you know um, a, a little bit there so uh, yeah I, I, I think that this is like a really incredible shot on video film it's definitely up there with Red Spirit Lake as like oh, definitely yeah. my favorite shot on video film that I've seen and this might even I'd, I'd have to rewatch both but I might have even um, preferred this in in just the, the drama of it i think red spirit lake tops it in terms of you know some of the surreal deaths and things that take place in that film but it's, this is going for something a lot more moving i think and i think it's right. quite successful and very well written you know that's it's not something so i think funny. most people attribute to shot on video films um i think that you know it's, it's very clear 
that, you know, James Robert Baker would go on to be a novelist. He seems like a very, very good writer. And this is an incredible, you know, um, domestic satire, as well as being, you know, like a genuinely romantic teen rebels on the run and a really misanthropic and grotesque sort of like crying movie. Um, again, a, a movie where two lovers embrace as the camera twirls around them on the beach and the voiceover is describing, you know, uh, putting clutches up people's asses and yanking it so their guts come out like a pinata. Like that's just filthy, no budget, you know, genre greatness. And it's very punk and it's very filthy. Um, but it, it also has a, a heart to it, um, which is, you know, not something that you might always uh, get from this kind of film. And I, I think yeah. that it, it's a perfect combination of, you know, maybe reductive, maybe going uh, Ehrlich mode a little bit, but like, you know, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it's got that Terrence Malick badlands, but it's also got a little bit of that, you know, that, that dirt cheap um, satire of like something like John Waters. I thought of female trouble a little yeah. bit watching this, even though, you know, I, again, I found this even more moving than that. I think that, you know, there's something so tragic and so, um, you know, uh, something that James Robert Baker very clearly feels in these characters, um, you know, this, the, this sense of, of, of limitation that he can't overcome. Um, and yeah, uh, despite this being directed by quote unquote, the world's angriest gay man, I thought <laughs> I, I found it a lot more, um, strangely, uh, uh, poetic and moving. Yeah. <laughs> than than even than than something like seeds, which felt which felt you know very righteously angry in a way, but definitely to a more um, I don't even want to say brutal end, but to a more um, a hopeless end, I guess. Mm. And I can't even say that this has a hopeful ending or I anything. I guess mean, I don't though. know what I'm trying to say. But at least there's, 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 there's a very it feels diff- like there's more rage in seeds. At least there's some happiness yeah. in this movie as well, right? Rage is- I guess yeah. I guess that that's it. Yeah, like like there there are fleeting moments of you know things going right for these people and like positive emotional experiences, even though you know. But 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 that's just it. Is it's ones that they force, yeah. ones that they force and to, it's still to wrapped make in like do. naivete and and this like I don't know uh, just ignorance a little mm. bit. It's a great of, word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much uh, to add, but I, I will say I think this is one of the, the funniest films that we've covered. I mean, honestly, the, the line after line, I was, I was howling. I thought this was Yeah, it's not too often really we spend funny. most of the review quoting the film. Yeah, yeah, like every <laughs> line and every scene has something that, that, that's quotable in it. So, I mean, just on a writing standpoint, I think this is f- fantastic. And then just to, to add from that kind of comedy he has a lot of just ironic uh really dark irony um that that wraps around that comedy that i that i really appreciate and i gotta say sarah lee wade i think is fantastic i mean everyone really does a good job in this but i did think that sarah lee wade and i think it's linda miller who plays the stepmom uh really shine in this just the i love sarah lee wade's like uh just her very calm demeanor as she's going through all of these things. And she's just adorable. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Even when she's saying completely absurd lines, there's like something innocent and adorable about it in, in some form. And then, uh, with Linda Miller, she's just this like over the top, you know, Christian woman that, that is saying all these, like, you know, you're a repugnant sinner and all that. And she's just very cartoonish, but in a, in a great way. So I, I really appreciated specifically, uh, those two performances. Um, but yeah, th- this, w- this was fantastic. One thing I just wanted to read, because it was in the credits, and for some reason it just it spoke to me. I don't know it if It spoke this with is me like, too. I know exactly what you're yeah, going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's like a, I don't, it said blonde death theme. It must be like a poem or something. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to read it. 
says, uh, you stupid asshole, they saved Hitler's cock, not of this earth. My old man's a fatso. And that, I don't by know the, why that's By the angry Samoans. Yeah, yeah that, that really <laughs> spoke to me. So I wrote it down and I love it. Because um, I, I think that's supposed to be the name of the theme song. Like, <laughs> is that what it was supposed to be in the credits? Yeah, and I think the angry Samoans were a punk band at the time, I think. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I thought. So. So that's Those the title of the song, and it's by the Angry Samoans. I, I. I want that to be like just song lyrics in some <laughs> song. I just think that it's so punk rock and and hilarious, and it really, oddly enough, it, it it does relate really well to everything that we've seen in this in this film. So yeah, I wanted to to read that, but mm. four out of five for now. Uh, this thing's awesome. Check it out. Uh, I have Hell to yeah. go with the. Uh, the, the normal five. I I love this nice. movie. I I think it's I really cliche man. We've already talked about most of the reasons that I think it's it's great. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll just say that like when I watched it the other day, rewatched it the other day. I, I very soon after I went and I listened to um, more than this, the Roxy Music song, and I was just like vibing and like that was what I was kind of thinking of this watch. Like I was really tuned into like the romance of it and the tragedy of it that Baker manages to find underneath all the absurdity and the, and the craziness and the violence. Like, I really do think this movie is, as you both said, is so funny, but it really does hit the emotional beats as well. And if you like this movie, yeah. I really, really recommend his books. I've only read two of them, but both of them were just absolutely um, mind-blowing. Boy Wonder is a really good starter point. That's the, yeah, as I said, the uh, the satire of uh, Hollywood, the oral history of Shark Traeger, like a new Hollywood producer. Uh, just imagine like an alternate history of like all the worst shit that happened in Hollywood in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. <laughs> That's, that sounds amazing. It's, it's so funny. It's so good. Uh, really, it begs me to turn into a miniseries, but if it is, it'll be censored out the wazoo. But and then Tim <laughs> and Pete as well, his last, well, his, his last book published while he was alive is uh, much more of a slow burn and much more like a low, like lighter key tone. But I, I think about it often and the way that it, it kind of uses its own romantic framework to build this sense of like rageful, like ideological rebellion. I mean, that, that book, uh, has a scene where a guy gets like heroin injected into like the big vein on his cock while they're having sex. And then at the end, it, it <laughs> ends with people like sleeping soundly while uh, Reagan's, uh, someone read Reagan is being potentially murdered. Uh, I really, so yeah, <laughs> love five stars, five stars for James Robert Baker as well. Oh man. Yeah. He sounds awesome. Hell yeah. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for everything uh, this week. That was Seeds from 1968 and Blonde Death 1984. Thanks so much, uh, Kai, for, yeah, for finally uh, joining us and for bringing these films with you. It's been an honor. Thank you. No problem. If you've got anything uh, to plug uh, while you're here, this is usually where we have you do that. I can do some plugs. Yeah, you can um, follow me on Letterboxd, just my name, so Kai Perignon. I'm at Memory Endowment on Twitter. Uh Sorry, I don't like my handle, but it's too late. Uh, if you if if you follow me, I, I've got a few things potentially coming up. And when you're talking about Charles Pinion earlier, I interviewed Charles Pinion like about his whole career last year, and Whoa. that will be awesome. online soon. I just gotta get on. I gotta get on to someone about it. But it's that it's nearly on YouTube, so I'll post it on my Twitter soon. I'm also working on a film. Uh, if puppet necrophiliac anti-romance sounds appealing to you well that should be coming up if you know <laughs> setback or seven ahead should be coming for the next year or so so if you if, if something around it absolutely those, does it, well then i then you will then you'll see my twitter or my letterbox and you will see me beg people to watch it um and then finally uh i don't know when this episode is airing but i do uh, some programming stuff with uh, static vision uh in australia 
They have a festival coming up uh, very soon on the 15th called Dreamscapes in Melbourne, but they do streaming stuff all the time and they're hopefully and probably going to do some more um, theater stuff later in the year in Melbourne, Sydney. So if you just you know want to follow Static Vision AU on Twitter, Letterboxd, they're, they are always doing really interesting stuff, getting filmmakers. Last year, they got Paul Schrader, as I said, Charles Pinion, uh, with that, we, Cecilia Condit. I, I interviewed um, uh, Chester Novel Turner of uh, Black Devil Doll from Hell um, with them uh, last wow. year as well. So they, they're always doing stuff, and they always got some interesting things coming out. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, thank you thank you so much for having me on, fellas. Yeah, thanks for coming on. No this problem. was awesome. I haven't, I, have, I haven't got to read your um, Book of Avon short story yet, I hope but I'm excited to get around to oh, that. Yeah. Uh, do you have more, do you ha- do you have more uh, writing on the way? Yes, I forgot about Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, I'm in the Book of Avon that uh, Harry <laughs> Rowland and Ashford Rose edited. Yeah, I have a little short story there, uh, which is uh, anyone who's from Knoxville, Tennessee will not like how I've de- depicted Tennessee, but whatever. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always kind of stuff. I mean, if you are a publisher in the audience, I have two novels that I've written and they so it hit me up but yeah more stuff in the future uh, pr- hopefully and presumably because I'm always working on things awesome very cool very cool we'll definitely uh, look forward to all of that for our listeners we are going to be back in one week's time where uh, we are for the first time in I, I guess uh, over a year we are timing an episode to the release of a new film uh, wow. so if that is that is uh, nature is healing as people like to <laughs> yeah. say, that is what's happening here. We are going to do uh, a themed episode around a little filmmaker, some of you might know, called M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, He's got a new film king. called Old coming out. By the time you guys are listening to this, I think it comes out next week. So in in, in time for his new movie to come out, we are going to go back to his, his, his OG classics, get familiar with him. We are going to talk about Sixth Sense, and we are going to talk about Un breakable which i don't think need any sort of introduction i think most people are familiar but we haven't talked about m night before so i'm excited to kind of i think after we finish watching those i'm gonna do a a full revisit of m night including the one i have not seen which is uh last airbender that's the one i I still haven't seen lady in the water or last airbender i haven't seen either of those okay yeah i i feel like i'm gonna like it more than people say it has a bad reputation but uh some a lot of his films now do and i like him so i feel like uh i'll enjoy it i did a rewatch of a few of his yeah. movies earlier in the year and yeah it just totally blew me away what a filmmaker i mean uh yeah even, yeah. even in the he's, water yeah. looks it's shot by christopher doyle looks amazing and he's just very fascinating and split is so much grosser than it needs to be and i really respect that yeah yeah splits awesome. absolutely yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we we've uh, yeah, I guess uh, on the bonus transmission series for anyone who listens to the bonus transmissions, we've definitely I don't think we talked about split, but I think we talked about glass. Yeah. So we we definitely, uh, you know, briefly flirted with M. Night, but we're going to do a full deep dive next week over on the Patreon. We're going to do Sixth Sense Unbreakable. And then the week after uh, for the free listeners, there is another new release. So we're doing two. I didn't even I didn't even know this, but we (laughs) we are doing I didn't realize two in a row. But yeah, we're doing another timed release, but this time to there, there is a little film coming out on Netflix starring an actor some of you might be familiar with, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hell yeah. Uh, so we thought, well, it's, it's time. We should do, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about Van Damme a couple times. I think we talked about him on the Albert Pion episode where we talked yeah. about Cyborg, and we mentioned him on the Universal Soldier uh, during Dolph Month where we talked about Universal Soldier. So he's come up, you know, sporadically a couple times, but we've never done a Van Damme episode. So uh, in two weeks' time, for every for all listeners we're going to talk about hard target john yes. Woo, 
And we're going to talk about Double Team, Choi Hark. Oh, stoked. Which is going to be uh, a really, really fun episode, and we have a very special guest joining us to talk about uh, the Van Damme goodness. But yeah, we're going to be talking about him working with, um, you know, uh, overseas filmmakers uh, for American action films in uh, very, very crazy action films, we'll say. Because <laughs> yeah. also, we've talked about John Woo and we've talked about Choi Hark, but we haven't done much of their American stuff. <laughs> Choi Hark, we've only right. talked about for the Once Upon a Time in China, and... Um, for John Woo, we've mostly done um, The Killer and Hard Target. I think, right. I think we Blackjack. did Mission Impossible 2 really early on. And yeah, I guess Blackjack, which we just recently did with the... Yeah, I guess we've done more with, than with, I thought. With, with but, uh, yeah, we've done a couple more uh, John Woo's. We just haven't hit his like really big American stuff like right. Face Off or Broken Arrow or anything like that. Exactly. So, or Hard Target, which we're finally doing. So Very yeah, stoked. we're going to talk about John Woo coming over to America. But yeah, so that's what you guys can expect for the, the episode in two weeks' time. Uh, until then... Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.